On January 28th, 2024, the Bristol boys are back, ready to bristle at each other a little bit. We got a guest in the studio that we're going to we're gonna bristle at. We got Lottie. Uh, we got the Kamish, Angry Jay. Uh, the Don father not here. Mac Daddy is. Capital Securities, Joe Moriello, a life well planned. Hit him up. Um, set yourself up for the future. Skygazer Brewing, secondary sponsor. <laughs> Champ Torres with the Champ Cam coming in very soon. I spoke to him this week. We have two Champ Cams coming in. We're going to be able to see these uh, these mugs um, in future episodes. Before we get to the Yanks, which is obviously on the forefront of all of our minds, I want to introduce uh, our guest today, Wobin Mass. I pronounced that wrong. I think it's Woburn. Woburn. Is it Woburn? No. Uh, Washington, Connecticut's own Mike Donahue. We're not going to spoil why Mike's in the studio um, because we're going to let him unveil some of the, some of his uh, story, which is is awesome. Um, Lottie, thoughts? High school basketball, real quick. Middle of the season. Um, I don't. I think just like always, there's those upper echelon teams like the East Catholics of the world. I see a lot more parity this year, especially in the Naugatuck Valley League. Um, you know, Waterbury Career is very good, and Crosby is very good. And then there's a, there's a pack in the middle um, that they all play good basketball. I think that happens in the CCC too, uh, some of the bigger conferences in the state. But um, what I've noticed, and I didn't know how to take it coming into the year, 35-second shot clock has had no bearing on these games whatsoever at the high school level. I can't speak for the girls. Even like baseline out-of-bounds plays and sideline out-of-bounds plays where we were drawing up stuff in the in the preseason, it hasn't come to fruition at all. I've seen over 20 games total, yeah. and I've seen about three violations, boys and girls. Same. Nonsense. Should have been in there 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been out scouting, seen some good basketball, but I don't, I don't see – a lot of those dominant players, maybe Jay has a, a different perspective of what's going on in Connecticut or those uh, ultra, ultra dominant teams like we've had in the past. Angry um, Jay, who comes out of Division One? Um, it's hard to pick against East Catholic. I mean, they don't, they haven't lost yet. They had a, actually had a tough game against yeah, Farmington, Farmington the other night. Yeah. They came out to yeah, the wire. Farmington took them to the, mm -hmm. to the but, wire. But until somebody beats the champ, you know, to beat a man, you got to beat the man, right? I guess. Um, so they're going to play a play-in game, 16-17, then go with the 16-team format. Yeah. That's, that's kind of neat, terrible. La last year, last year um, I think it was West Hill was 0-20. Yeah, they didn't win a game. Yeah. And they had to drive across the state to play East Catholic. Come on, who guys. Who was 19-1, who lost like, to maybe you know a New York team or something. Come on, CIC, get it right. The game was over The game was over before they got on the bus. Like, What do you say to the kids at halftime when you're down 40? Let's Hang win the second half, guys. Yeah. Let's win this half. Um, welcome, Mike. Mike Donahue, um, one of my buddies. Um, got the privilege to coach against his daughter, Chapog High School standout. Um, Mike's come to my classroom and enlightened some fifth graders. Um, he, he blew me off this year, but um, <laughs> he was nice enough to drive over an hour to get here in the snow this morning. Mike, welcome to the Bristol Boys. Thank you, Robert. Um, it, there's a lot to Mike's story. Uh, we're going to... Uh, Little spoiler alert, we're going to get to his Secret Service uh, days guarding our, our nation's president. Um, but let's go back to uh, your, your uh, childhood in Woburn. 
How do you pronounce you're it? You're just butchering this. Just, <laughs> yeah, just don't say the R. It's, <laughs> it's just so much easier. Woburn. How, how much did sports impact you growing up in Woburn? Uh, I was big. Um, so, you know, big-time sports family. Um, I was probably the worst athlete. Uh, so, I can see it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, uh, my father was a huge athlete. Um, my brother, Stephen, who is seven years younger than me, drafted out of high school by the Kansas City Royals, went and played for Danny Hall at Georgia Tech, and then wound out his career with the Cleveland Indians. So we can talk a little bit about how good Stephen was at some point. He's probably the best athlete I've ever seen in person. Um, and I had a chance to coach him because of the gap in age. Um, interesting stuff. I threw BP for him when the Kansas City Royals cross-checker came, and he was hitting balls. <laughs> he got against the backstop because that's how we used to throw BP. No I mean, screen? Like, you know, no screen. Oh, boy. Got against the backstop with a wooden bat, and uh, he was launching balls in, in, you know, in, into uh, the next county from the backstop with the cross-checker sitting there, you know, just taking notes. So great experience for me as a you know 20 something you know trying to help him get drafted so um do you remember who the regional checker was it'll come to me um it'll come to me because he he ended up um i think he ended up being a gm someplace um but he at the time he was a cross checker for the royals uh, maybe if we have a break i'll text steve and he'll remember yeah. um but um yeah, it was it, it was a kind of a, a great experience, and you know, so I, I coached. I'm gonna jumping in a tangent here, but I coached them. You know, so I got out of school and and uh, I coached them, and uh, in high school in the summer it was a, like a senior Babe Ruth deal, and uh, so um, you know he was like, it, it, it happens a lot with these great athletes. Like you know he, nothing phased him. Like he, his heart rate, I don't think ever got out of the fifties. So he knew he was good. Yeah, he knew and, he and good. so he was pitching one night, and he threw the ball like eighty-eight to ninety-two or whatever in high school. And so he's pitching one night, and there's there's scouts behind the backstop with the radar guns, and he's like eighty-five, eighty-six, and he's still throwing it past these guys that were playing. So my father's like out of his mind. So my father comes <laughs> over to me, and he's like, "What is he doing?" What is he doing? And I said, I got it. So I, I called timeout, like maybe a second in, and I called timeout. The poor catch is coming out. I don't even know who the kid was, but he's coming out. I said, stay there. So now it's just Stephen and, uh, Stephen and I at the, at the, on the mound, and I said, uh, hey, just real quick, <clears throat> I said, the, the guys behind the backstop with the things in their hands that they're pointing <laughs> at you, they're, they're professional scouts. And he's like, yeah. I said, well, anytime you want to show up, like we're all waiting. Like any time, like just any time you want to play. Like we're, we're all here waiting to see you show up. And I jog off, 92, 92, 92. He used to start smoking because he pissed at me. But like sometimes yeah. those good, those really good players, <laughs> like you got to get under, get under their skin a little bit, you know. And that's how he was. But just a ridiculous, ridiculous athlete. Great basketball player, you know, could do things with, you know, both his hands, uh, you know, shoot. You know, jumpers with his left hand when he's a right-handed dominant guy. Just a great player. And then, how far did he get with the Indians? Uh, I think he just got high A. So, so what happened with him was he, the summer of his freshman year, he was at a party back in Wuben, and a fight broke out on the deck. And he, f he so he wasn't involved in the fight, but the, as as things started to kind of unpack, he he's six six and a half, six seven, like let's say so. You know the the edge of the deck came under just under you know just under his back or whatever. So he fell off the deck, 
and he landed on both of his hands. So he put both his hands out to break his uh, break his fall, and he broke both wrists, like really oh. bad. Like there, there was a guy, and you talk about remembering names. There was a guy. So when they when they took the MRIs, they called down at Georgia Tech said this kid's career is over. So the, his left hand. Um, I think was just your typical common fracture, but his, I think his right hand, I might have it backwards, but one of them was trashed. So my father got him an audience with this guy Jupiter at Mass General, who was at the time the greatest hand surgeon like going. And Jupiter's like, I got this. Completely fixed him. And so that happened. That's a great story right there, yeah. It's unbelievable. Completely fixed him. So, so you know typical d1 scenario you know they, they're done with him like they think like he's done so this is how this is the summer he was supposed to go down and play the cape so all that goes out the window and it's the summer of his freshman year so he's going into his sophomore year and they're the, georgia tech's ready to just you know, this guy's just going to be a student down here like he's not gonna we're gonna have to transition him out Jupiter fixes him up. Jupiter calls down there, says this guy's going to be fine. He rehabs. I think he might have missed the first 15 games, and then he was in the lineup. But it, you know, it held him back. And ultimately, what happened was, is he he played like I think I, he played down the Cape, but I think he played most of his summer ball in the next couple of years, like down the Carolinas um, in the in the Shenandoah Valley League, like back in the day. I, I know there's tons of wooden bat leagues now, but that was a good one. But he played down there, and then he went his entire senior year. So he, he actually graduated from Georgia Tech and signed with Cleveland as a free agent. So now you're coming out as a 23-year-old. Yeah. So, like, you know, he's funny when he tells the stories. So he can drink, right? He's 23. So he's in the minors, and he's pitching. So he's pitching for, like, the Mahoning Valley scrappers in the middle of Ohio or whatever. They, they jump on the bus, and they're running around. And, and like, half of the roster, if not all of the roster, are, like, 18-year-old <laughs> kids. Yeah. So, like, the only rule that the coaching staff had is when we're on the road and you walk into a bar, if we're sitting there, find another place to drink. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, all these one horse, one horse towns. Every every town he went into, he's like, I can't wait to just go grab a beer. And he goes in there, and the whole coaching staff's in there. He's like, so now he's gonna go find some place. <laughs> one else. more round. Yeah. So he ends up ended, ends up like you know running to gas stations and buying beers for all these young guys. <laughs> he's like, I gotta get out of here. So I think he did like three years, and then he got out and uh, yeah. started his life. But what position uh, did he play at, at Tech? So you're gonna love this story because I'm surrounded by Yankee fans here. <laughs> but um, and again, he was really, really good even after the injury. Um, so he played first base and he closed for Tech. Um, and Two then, way, wow. Yeah, and so there was a guy named Mark Teixeira. You guys probably heard of Teixeira. Yeah, fraud. Him and uh, him and Steven are still buddies. But uh, so Teixeira goes to Tech. And he has to play third until Stephen graduates. Get out of here. something right there. Yep. Yep. And, that he, and then when he came up, he started at third. Yeah, he right? was so a third baseman. Found a home there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, good story about your brother. Uh, never knew that. Um, so, a high school? What was your high school like? Yeah, Wilburn High. Big, big, big uh, high school. So, years ago, I mean, you're talking, I got out of there, what, 88? So, you're talking a long time ago. But, um, you know, 475 kids, my senior class. Jeez. Uh, yeah, big. Um, almost what, what was the sport? In, in, uh, football. football. Football is a big sport. So my senior year, we uh, 
we went undefeated. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, my senior year, undefeated um, state championship, and then we played Brockton. You guys have heard of Brockton. So yeah. Brockton, the Mar- year. Mar- 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 the yeah. Brockton brawler, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we lined up against Brockton. So Brockton was coached by a guy by the name of Armand Colombo, who's a legendary high school coach in Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, we had – so so back when I went to school, the junior high school was 7th, 8th, and ninth. So the high school was 10, 11, 12. And if you average, let's just round it up and say 500 kids in a class, you had about 1,500 kids in high school. Brockton had 3,500. So you can imagine the talent pool. Like, we had a talent pool, yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, we had 500 guys or 500 kids in our, our – uh, 1,500 kids in our high school. But you can imagine what Brockton had Ooh. with, you know, over 3,000. So we go down. We played the state championship game like they do, but we played um, in the old Sullivan Stadium. And uh, Brockton had on that team that beat us by the – you know, they, not at the speed limit, but they beat us 28 nothing. On that team, they had like – 10 guys I think that went division one I mean guys there, there were guys like Rudy Harris that went to Clemson and played in the league I mean they were really good um, and you know just put up I mean I'm, I'm pretty sure they could have beat us worse but our coach is like another legend Rocky Nelson and Colombo were buddies so he stopped the bleeding at about 28 nothing you know what but I was a free safety. Respectable. Yeah. I was a free safety, and going into the game, we were really good. Like, our front seven was really good. We played a 50 front, which is, you know, unless we got into third and long, and then they went with a 40 look. And, I mean, you play a 50 front in high school, your linebackers are just – they're your tacklers. So they're free to do whatever they want to do. And as a, as a free safety, I might have averaged three or four tackles in a game, right? Uh, and, again, this is in the 80s. It's not like they were running spread and anybody was coming out with, like, empty looks or anything. So, um, but in that game, I think I had 12 tackles. Oh, they got there oh, quick. They just, yeah. you know, like, Columbo, Second you know, level? Yeah, forget yeah. it. Like, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and there's, there's the guy with the football, and I got to get in his way. And I, I don't even know if you – if we looked at the film, I don't know if so much, like, I was tackling them or they just were running into me, <laughs> you know, and they just like, kind of tripped, yeah, yeah. tripped over me. But uh, – but, yeah, so I, I think that experience, um, you know, I played on offense, too. I was a receiver, and I think that th- those two years, my junior year and my senior year, we were, we were undefeated basically both years. We lost on Thanksgiving my junior year, and the team we lost to a rival went to the, went to the state championship game. But that opened the door for me to go and play in college. Okay, so now you take your, your talents and, and your uh, classroom abilities to Brown University. Who took your SATs for you? <laughs> no, no, listen, you know, it, it, so here's a funny story. So, um, and, and it's something that as coaches, like we've, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say as coaches, like I'm a coach, but I've, I've done a little with, in youth groups and stuff, and I've, I've tried to share this with people. So my sophomore year, I'm catching for the high school team, and there's a kid who's a senior, Kevin Buckley. Um, and, um, you know, you're a sophomore. Like, you're the catcher. Like, you just keep your mouth shut and just do what they tell you to do, right? Like, you're not even calling the game at that point. Like, he's telling you what he's throwing. But Kevin's going to Dartmouth, and Dartmouth is watching him. And Dartmouth comes to watch Kevin because, you know, there's a commitment there, and they see me. And whatever I did when they were there, they liked it. So, like, you know, I, no, matter, no matter what kid you bump into all the time, like, the, the message is you don't, like, they may not be there to look at you, right. right? Like, they, you know, somebody shows up in the gym or shows up at a field, they may not be coming to look at you. But if you're playing hard and you're doing all the right things, you might end up on somebody's radar by mistake. And I'll that's, second that. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely second that. Crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. The, and, and kids don't think that way, you know? I mean, like, 
all these kids like they just they don't you know they don't think that way like they so that happened to me so the next thing you know Dartmouth is sending stuff to the house like that's how they used to do it obviously years ago and um and and so my father was a I mean, we've talked about this he was he worked for an oil company but at night you know he was a he was a basketball official <clears throat> so he he did a lot of high school and college stuff and um he was really friendly with this guy tommy o'connell o'connell was a brain tree guy so you know south shore guy and o'connell had given up i think he was like a high school coach at Braintree High School when him and my father were close, but he gave all that up and he he moved to um, New Jersey and took the Princeton job. So Tommy O'Connell was a head guy at Princeton. So in my father's head, like I don't know anybody at Dartmouth, but Dartmouth is showing my kids some love. Let me call he called him Oki. Let me call Oki and see if Princeton has any you know interest. And of course, as a catcher, like you're going to carry three of them anyway, so maybe I get half a chance there. So anyway, I, I go. O'Connell, you know, there's no film back then, right? So O'Connell goes, listen, we run a, bas- a baseball camp every summer, send them down, and we'll take a look at them. So my father's got to pay whatever it costs, drops me at Princeton, takes off. You stay down there for a week. At the end of the week, Coach O'Connell picked me up on a golf cart one night. He called the room that I was staying in and said, be outside in three minutes. So I get in the golf cart. We drive around. He shows me the campus, and he goes, listen, we really like you, and I'd love to see you play here. But he said, yes, SATs are atrocious. And Get he's out like, of here. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you got to figure it out. And I think at the time, I might have been holding like a 900. And he's like, you got to figure it out. And I said, okay. And he goes, if you can come up 200 points, I'll get you in here. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So I go back. I tell my, my parents that. So my mother's a teacher. So she loses her mind. That, that might, be, <laughs> might be a chance I can go to Princeton or whatever. So the next thing you know, I'm getting shuttled to some tutor. <laughs> like two, three times a week, trying yeah. to figure out how to how to come up two hundred points, you know. And I, I ended up I ended up being able to do that, so it worked out. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. So you, but you end up at Brown, right? Yeah. So Brown showed up football wise, and um, because we had so much success in football, like the other two schools had no interest in me in football. Oki included, like my father. So you, were, you were a football guy first. I think so. I mean, I think I, right. I think in retrospect. Um, Baseball was something that I I loved to play. I mean, but you know, our baseball team was you know five hundred maybe. Yeah. Like just you know, they we weren't great, but football we were really really good. And and you know, there was something about playing. Like everybody in the city came out for football. It was like a big thing. So it was something about playing in front of a lot of people and all that. So um, and of course the opportunity. And this is our vintage, right? But like nobody specialized in anything. So the no. opportunity to go someplace and play two. Like then you really yeah. think you're 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 rolling right. So, so when Brown came, which which they used to do, like schools would come to the high school and and go to the head coach's office, and then next thing you know, you're getting pulled out of class to go meet the recruiter or whatever. Good old days. Yeah. yeah. So this guy Denny Marie, never forget it, comes to comes to the high school, pulls me out, says, "Listen, this is who I am. Da da da. We got some game film. We're gonna look at it, but uh, you know, we we had somebody see you play in the state championship game, and and we want to recruit you." Okay, so I go back and tell my mother, and at the time, again, my mother was a teacher, and she'd probably get mad at me for saying this, but she wasn't even sure where Brown was. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, but once it kind of got level set that Brown is in the Ivy League too, and it's all, you know, it's every bit as good as Princeton and Dartmouth, she was like, okay, on board. And that's kind of how it went down, but what we did is we called both Dartmouth and Princeton and sent some film and they would like now you know we're good like you know football wise so then it came back to me like 
do you just go and just play baseball or do you take a chance and go and play both? And I, I took the latter, just play, try to play both. So how big were you in high school, your senior year? Uh, I'm probably the same height, but um, weight-wise, I was probably only about 180, 175 pounds. You know? Do you play baseball against Brad Osmus in college? He go to Dartmouth? Yeah, yeah I went to Dartmouth. Um, you know what? I He's don't, around our age. I yeah, don't, definitely. I, I don't remember. Um, you know, the guy that I remember up there was a guy that played in the bigs named Mark Johnson who was really, really good. He was a left-handed pitcher and first baseman that I remember at Dartmouth, but I, I don't remember Brad, so he might have just been gone by the time. Okay, all right. Mike, growing up in the, the 70s and early 80s in Boston, mm -hmm. pretty good professional sports scene at that time with the Red Sox in the late 70s and obviously Bird coming in and mm -hmm. Bruins always. Talk a little bit about your experience as a fan, as a, as a kid, because as a kid growing up, we were – we're Yankee fans, you know, that Munson, Reggie Jackson era. How about for you? Any Anything that stood out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so I think, you know, we didn't go to a lot of games, mm -hmm. right? Like, so you, you're the regional sports network, so it was before Nesson. It was Channel 38, right? Yeah, Channel yeah. 38 would, would, you know, Hawk Harrelson, they would broadcast mm -hmm. the games. And, 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 yeah, I mean, like as kids, like you would, you know, you would, be out playing I mean, we played a lot right so you're out playing and you're you know you're going through the lineup so on one day you're you're arguing about who's going to be Kyle Yastrzemski <laughs> or who's going to be George Scott we all do the same thing that's yeah, great yeah yep. who's going to be Butch Hobson was you know diving into dugouts and stuff everybody wanted to be Butch Hobson at the time so um and then I mean Bird you know changed everything in Boston really like you know his what he, what he did uh to the city and 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 how effortlessly you know, if anything, Bird made you aggravated as a basketball player because, like, all the things he did that was so effortless, you'd try to do, and you're like, wow, that, this doesn't work out for me, you know? <laughs> um, and then, you know, I did watch a lot of the Bruins. You know, we uh, we were a stick hockey neighborhood, you know? So, um, you know, everybody wanted to be Stan Jonathan. You know, everybody wanted to drop the gloves and, you know, be Terry O'Reilly and start lumping people. Um, what number was he, Terry O'Reilly? 24. Look at this yeah, guy. Yeah. He fits right in. I don't, I don't think you're going to stump him. O'Reilly was, uh, was something. And, of course, like What he, color was his hair? What color was O'Reilly's hair? Wasn't he a redhead? No. He wasn't? No. O'Reilly's brown-haired guy like you. Okay. Yeah. I can remember him standing over a, a whaler or kneeling over a whaler. I think he knocked him out and had to stop hitting him. He used to go into the stands him after and, fans. Yeah, yeah, those guys. That's the right guy, right? I got to tell you. Listen, I got to come clean. thought he was a redhead. I, I hated Cam Neely. And I'll tell you why. As a Hartford Whaler fan, he used to come to... Pacific Center. He huge, scored two way. goals. He'd start a fight, beat the crap out of somebody, and the other guy would get like two minutes. Like it was. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you. Something. I would have loved to have him on our team, but he for, was so. Uh, he was yeah, eight. Eight. No, yeah, number yeah. eight. Right? Yeah, number eight, nearly. Yeah, he was uh, having an off day. I thought he was six. He right, was. Go. He was. Uh, he was generational talent. Though. Oh, like, he, he was, was like phenomenal. The, he was like the first like you could like, see. You could could see why I hated him. Yeah, he could skate. He could score, and then he could beat your. He could beat your brains. Yeah, Gord Howhead. Yeah, yeah. Was number six Gord Kluzak? Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, Remember I think, think Kluzak, he yeah. was a defenseman. I think he did with Big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huge. Um, All right. With red hair. No. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the, the, the that era, though, the, it was a, like it was a struggle with the Pats, right? So oh, Sam Bam. Like, 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 like Sam Bam, you had Steve yeah, Grogan, Grogan with the neck with brace. Neck like, roll, like, yeah. yeah, the, you know, yeah, the neck roll. Stanley Morgan. Yeah, Stanley Morgan. He was a hell of a player. Yeah, he was. Yeah. They, they, were, they had good teams, though. They yeah. just... Uh, so Craig James, did you yeah. have a guy yeah. as a kid? Did you have a guy? With the, with with the, um, any of the teams, like was there, who was your guy? Who was your guy? I think I think 
at a real young age, you know, I, I don't have the the time in front of me, but I, I think Hobson was my guy from a baseball standpoint. I mean, he struck out a lot, but you know what? So did I. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, like he just played the game really, really hard, right? And then, uh, so from a baseball standpoint, I think as a young guy, I, I identify with him. I didn't start catching until I got into high school. So it was I was an infielder, so I kind of get into him. And then um, I don't think there was really anybody that stood out with the Pats yeah. for me until I got into high school. Um, and then you started to look at, like, you know, the the Irving Friars of the world mm. that were putting touchdowns in their pocket left and right. And then, you know, again, uh, anybody that was like an O'Reilly or Peter McNabb, anybody that was a real grinder and, and a hard-nosed guy for the Bruins. Uh, and then, of course, Bird. I mean, like, you know, he was he was just great to watch. Um, so. I love the Hobson call because you could go on like Rice and Lynn and yeah. Yaz and right down the and then you get a, a grinder like yeah, yeah. like Hobson. Those are our kind of players yeah. too. He played a year, didn't he, with bone chips in his elbow? Yeah, you guys yeah. remember that or yeah. no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did. He had, and I didn't even know what bone chips were. Yeah, I was like, what's the matter with his? You had a cup of coffee with the Yankees, Angry Jay, Hobson. I don't know. I don't remember that. I think for he a second have, he did he in, in like the 80s. Yeah. Couple weeks, yeah. yeah. Breaks my heart that we're even talking about that because, like, those were the guys we all identified with and wanted mm-hmm. to be like. Because, you know, I mean, you guys are probably different than me, but like, I had to do that kind of stuff to like mm-hmm. make a difference in anything. And like, those guys don't even get noticed now because they're probably not paying their AAU and travel coaches enough money to get at the sh- right showcases. Yeah. Um, but you know, guys like that, you know, they. I don't know where they'd fit in today. Even the great Greg, Greg Maddox is my biggest one. Like, uh, not to get on a kind of crazy tangent here, but like, if Maddox pitched today, they everyone would be bitching and moaning about all the strike calls because of that stupid square they put on the, on the television screen now, right? Um, <clears throat> I wanted to bring this up in a couple weeks when we had a chance to just spiffball, but like, I'm I'm done with instant replay. I'm done with it. I'm done with it in, in any sense. I don't care if the guy bobbled the ball. I don't care if the nose touched the ground. I don't care if the first baseman's foot came off by an inch and they banged you out. Those make great stories. It's accepting the human element and error is part of it. And it and um, it's adverse. You know, you got to deal with it. Guys have lost World Series and perfect games on bad calls. Deal with it. There's you know no, what I mean? There's no moving on. Now it's, see, I was right. You know, when you do yeah. the replay. And then you don't learn anything from that. And LeBron throwing his hands up every time he gets scratched on his shoulder or whatever. And, like, stop it. You got, you may have been hit. Go play defense. You know? You, you may have been hit. Run well, back. How, however you feel about it. Like, they put it in years ago. It was supposed to be just the, the home run, the, the foul pole, or, or if it just cleared defense. Even that. that. Inference. And I complained about it because you as soon as they bring it in a little bit, it's going to – and then it's like, well, if we could call home run fair or foul, you know, what it was, like when there's a play at first base, yeah, what's going to happen? Next? Why can't yeah. we do that? And it has – and you're talking about now, like there's going to be a time where the, the home play umpire is non-existent. But that's sad. It takes away from uh, what that sport was, you, how that sport was meant to be played. It was meant to be officiated by guys who occasionally get it wrong, Okay. And, and we can't play without him. There's such a shortage even on the high school level. You know, I, I was at a high school game the other night, and there was a coach from another conference in front of me, uh, East Hampton boys coach. I said, you're not playing tonight? He goes, no officials. Like, what the freak? You know, but, like, even in college, you see these guys start going like this with their finger, like, replay it. Not, not replaying it. Right? We're not replaying it. They called it for white. It's white ball. Right here where the guy's pointing. Doesn't matter who it went off, you know what I'm saying? And Reggie Miller, when he tackled, you know, why can't we review that stuff then? 
Reggie tackled it. The Knicks, he grabbed it and shot a three. Guy fell down. Immaculate reception. Do we know that whether he caught it or not? Great story either way. Tom Bernanski clinching the uh, the uh, pennant for the for the Sox back in the day before there was 50 camera angles. Yeah. Kaminsky never caught that ball. See it. He didn't yeah. catch it. Go Yanks. Get rid of instant replay in every sport. Butch Hodgson made you think of that? How did, well, this, <laughs> no, it made me think of guys who aren't wouldn't be relevant today yeah, as no. much as they were. And Greg Maddox, like, guy threw 89 miles an hour and dominated the league. Do you think Greg Maddox... Most gold gloves of all time, 18. Go. Do, do you think Greg Maddox would even be looked at coming out of high school? That's my point. Like, he, it, like it, he there's, hard a, there's this artificial metric that if you don't throw 90, yeah. you can't pitch at the Division One level. That's a joke. That's a joke. You want to know it's even worse? Is A lot of the schools, if you're our height and you throw like 90, they're like, well, thanks. Right. Not big Not enough. Not big enough. Right. Like, it's insane. Like, we were, we, we were, I won't mention the school, uh, but... We were coaching in a tournament, uh, and we had one of the Chappard guys who you know, and I won't mention him too because I don't want to do that to guys. Maybe they don't want their name out there, but um, who was good, lefty, and uh, he, he's he signed a contract and the whole thing, so he's playing at the professional level now. And we got a, we got a college coach saying, yeah, I got I got three guys throwing 90. And we're like, listen, Chief, he misses barrels. You understand? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, we're not dummies. I know we're just summer coaches and whatever, but, like, it, this guy was a teammate at Jaws's. And he basically told Jaws, I got three, I got three lefties that are throwing 90. Okay, good. He's throwing 88, and he misses barrels every at-bat. They just can't hit him. Mm-hmm. And he passed on him. And I think that's a huge gap in college recruiting. And to your point about Maddox, if Maddox is in is 18, wherever he came from, and he's throwing 88 in today's game, they're not even looking at him. Yeah, might be a Division three pitcher. Right. That's unbelievable. I'm kidding. They talk it. to those guys, too. It's unbelievable. All right, get – Sorry to get off on that, but getting back to your time at Brown. Um, um, two sports there? You played two sports at Brown? Yeah, yeah. so, you know, it's funny. Like, it, probably not the greatest of uh, athletic um, experiences. So um, they had freshman football then, so played that. And then played a little bit my sophomore year um, and then ultimately went straight baseball so I basically played let's call it two years football one of them being freshman football and then I played straight baseball and I and I I did that largely because I think that one um, I came from a winning program and so like you guys know like when you when you're used to winning which was half of the driver and the decision making for me to go play football because I did have all those experiences in high school my first year down there and again we played freshman but we we were out there with the varsity they were oh nine and one Oh boy! So they were seven and three when they recruited us, and had a kid at quarterback whose name I can't remember now, but uh, get drafted by the Giants. So like I'm coming into a Figures. program that I think is on the right path, and they go oh nine and one. And when you're when you're used to winning, and now you're out practicing in November <laughs> at night under the lights, and your team is like oh and seven, you're like, what am I doing here? Um, yeah, when's baseball start? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And and that's ultimately what happened is that. Um, I just I just made a and then they were moving me around I, I I went in there free safety then they moved me to strong and then next thing you know I'm like the weak side inside linebacker I'm like what am I doing like you know what I mean I'm 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 a two sport athlete I can't weigh 240 like you know it's yeah, not yeah. going to work out so I was slow enough to begin with so I went <laughs> just straight baseball Dave Stenhouse God rest his soul he just passed this year um, but um, Dave Stenhouse was the coach pitched in the bigs uh, for for years and just the the, the best of guys and uh, I played for him. Uh, and then I, I tore my rotator cuff up in Dartmouth uh, my junior year and had to come out of the game and never went back. 
That was it. That was it? Yeah, I had surgery that summer. Had surgery with uh, Arthur Pappas, Red Sox surgeon. Did oh, the, yeah. Did Dr. Pappas. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Pappas. Yeah, he did the job at uh, UMass Medical Center. Another unbelievable thing my father did. So he couldn't figure out what we were going to do. And just random calls the UMass Medical Center because he read Pappas's name in the Boston Globe. <laughs> <laughs> just, call, just calls out there. And it's like, listen, my kid's a catcher. I don't know if he's ever going to be able to play again, but I, I really would like Doc Pappas to do the, the deal. And they called my father back and said, send, them, send us all the medical records. And what year is this? 91. Jeez. That summer. Could that happen nowadays? No. It's funny, right? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Inc- incredible. Actually. What a great world it was back then, man. Yeah. Called out there, explained <laughs> the story to Pappas's, like, basically executive assistant, right? Like, he didn't talk to the doctor. Yeah. And then when I went out, we went out for the consult. Like, Pappas was exactly how you remember him. I swear to God, his eyebrows were about six inches yeah. thick. Like, it was, you know, but super smart guy, great guy. And uh, he was the one who said, like, I can do one or two things. I can completely repair your shoulder. And you're looking at, like, 18 months. So back then, they didn't have the same, yeah. right? Yep. Like, nowadays, that same surgery would probably be, like, six months. 18 months, you know, uh, physical therapy, recovery, whatever. Or I can go in and shave the bone down and, cre- you know, create a pathway so that there's less impingement, you'll never play again. Um, you won't be able to throw the ball with the same, you know, velocity or whatever. Uh, but you can have a catch with your kid, and like you can go on and live your life. So obviously, we took option B, and that's what I did. So. Um, your roommate, football yeah. player? Yeah, 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 yeah. Coach O'Brien, yeah. Coach Bill O'Brien. What position was he in in college? So he was a defensive lineman. So I think, I think Obi, just like all of us, I think Obi came in. So first of all, we played against each other in high school. He's a St. John's prep guy. Yeah, oh, so no he, way. Yeah, he grew up. So I grew up in Woburn, which is about 10 miles up 93 from Boston. Obi grew up in Andover, um, which is just a, you know, another, let's call it 10, 15 miles up 93. So uh, he played at St. John's prep, and we played those guys. Um, he played with some great players. So he played with... Uh, he played with a guy, Mike Panos, that was a linebacker at uh, Boston College. He was a tremendous player. Um, but anyway, Billy came. He was, a, he was a defensive end when he first got the Brown, um, and then they made him a defensive tackle. Okay. Um, but yeah. Random assigning of roommates? or um, So he came in. Obi started in, like, January. So everybody else started. So our freshman year, he missed all of freshman football. And I don't really know whether it was like a waitlist deal. I, I can't remember. But he started in January. But he would come down a lot, especially on the weekends. So like, and his cousin Jimmy Burke was on the football team. He was an Abington kid. Um, so, you know, we just kind of became fast friends. And and um, and then when we got to sophomore year, um, he he lived with me. And then you know it was it was, it was Obi and I. It was Obi, Tommy Blanford, and I our sophomore year, and then I think just Obi and I our junior year. Um, and obviously, you follow his career. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. just so, made a big, this big transition recently. Listen, it was, it was, it's kind of a surreal story. So um, while I was kind of on the pathway with the Secret Service, um, you know, that's a, that's what, and we'll talk about that. It's a long journey, right? Like it's, it takes a while to go through that whole application process. So I was teaching as a substitute and coaching on the football team. At, high, at my high school, uh, and I had just kind of met my wife, and we went down because he was he was coaching like I think he took a job right out of school coaching like the linebackers or something at Brown, uh, and we went down and stayed at his apartment, and he said to me, "Hey, I can't remember who who was there. It might have been Mark Whipple, but I can't remember who the head coach was at the time, 
But I remember Obi saying to me, like, hey, listen, they're looking for, like, a secondary guy. Like, do you want the job? Like, I'll talk to Whip. I think it was Mark Whip. He said, I talked to Whip. And, like, you're right. You, yeah. yeah, do you want the job? And I said, well, what's it pay? It paid, like, $3,500. <laughs> right? So I'm like, like, can I think about it? I'll call you. And meanwhile, like, I'm driving up 95 after with, you know, my girlfriend at the time and, and, and my wife now. And I'm like, $3,500. Like, like, how do you, like, what do you do? Like, you know what I mean? And I think, you know, obviously at that stage, Obi's parents were kind of helping him. He was the youngest. I was the oldest. I'm not going to my father asking for some money to offset my coaching aspiration. <laughs> but, like. I mean, obviously, Obi's gone, and he's you know he's he's done. Really, that could have really, been you. You could have been <laughs> with him. He's done really, really well, right? Like, and, and he's done really, really well on the offensive side of the ball, which did is just, super interesting. Did he just take the Ohio State? Yes. Yeah. He's oh, the is that what he is? Yeah. 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 Now, have you have you visited him at his other stops? Penn, Penn State. He's at Penn State. The Texans and Bama, right? Yeah. So he started, he but he started. He, so he went from he went from um, he went from Brown to a GA role at Georgia Tech. And what was cool was my brother was there at the oh, yeah. time. Oh, my God, yeah. So it was unbelievable. So, like, you know, so my brother's down there while Obi's down there. And he went from being a – Duke, didn't he? Did he go to Duke, too, or no? Yeah, yeah, afterwards, yeah. Yeah, he went – so he went to Georgia Tech as a GA. George O'Leary was the head coach down there oh, at the time. Right. right. So then uh, – and he was a GA under Ralph Regan, who was a legendary right. offensive mind, right? So Obi goes down there, and then he, he kind of – Matriculate. I don't know what all the stops were like. Maybe one year you coach the running backs, and then you know. But, but bottom line is he got to a place where he was the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech under O'Leary. Oh wow! So here's a story I haven't told you. So O'Leary gets the head job at Notre Dame. Obi goes. He gets flown out. I wish he was here to tell you the story. You laugh your ass off. So he gets flown out on the Notre Dame jet. Him and his wife Colleen. The Jets white like he's got to go to an fbo so the small airport right down to georgia gets on this jet every every seat on the jet is that that notre dame blue with the notre dame uh insignia and the headrest just the two of them on the jet they fly to south bend he meets you know, he signs he gets his contract he signs his contract he meets with the quarterbacks he's going to be the new offensive coordinator at notre dame it's done it's done Flies back to, to, to Georgia to uh, kind of close things out. And he's, he's laying in bed, and his phone's blowing up. And he's like, who's? Like, that, so he ignores the cell phone, and then, you know, he's got a house phone. So then the house phone starts. So he gets out of bed because he thinks maybe it's like a medical emergency, something going on with his family, like whatever. And it's George O'Leary mm-hmm. telling him that he forgot to back something out <laughs> of his resume that didn't really happen <laughs> and that he's gonna they're gonna rescind the offer you guys all remember that yep. yeah yes. oh my oh, yeah. goodness because I, I was a notre dame fan back yeah. then it was, incre- yeah. it was incredible so like obi like obi basically's crushed now like you you know so he uh to this day i think he's got i think he told me he's got framed the contract of notre dame and then the rescinded contract. <laughs> no the way. Way. The no way. Like you guys have stuff framed here. He's got like, yo. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So he, you know, he was fortunate. He went back. Georgia Tech had already offered the role to Chan Gailey. So he went back and he, um, he, he was Chan Gailey's offensive coordinator and I think associate head coach for a year. And then he bounced out of there, and I think he went from there to Duke, although he might have went to Maryland first. I can't remember. Because that's where Freegen ended up, right? right. Maryland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did Um, you ever visit him at Penn State, Houston, or Bama? Yeah, all three. All three? Yeah, yeah, all three. What uh, what sticks out in your mind from any of those three places? 
Um, I'm thinking Bama must be crazy. So let's let, let, let's go um, let's go Penn State first. Okay. So I thought Penn State was was really really. I mean, listen, it you know. So he was the guy stepping. after Paterno. Yeah. yeah so that's stepping. like a. Yeah, it was it was really kind of an interesting deal. So I was at my office, my my office, the Secret Service, uh, New York field office, um, and I had stayed over that night. Uh, we had do, we were doing something out in the street that night, so I stayed. We were down in Brooklyn, and my phone rings and it's him. Early in the morning, like six thirty, seven o'clock, and I'm like, what, "What, Coach? What's up? You know, we're catching up." And he's like, "Listen, I got to run something by you." <clears throat> he said, "Penn State or the Jacksonville Jaguars?" I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, that's on the table right now. He said, Penn State or the Jacksonville Jaguars? And I said, take the Jaguars job. I said, the Penn State mess, is it going to be a huge distraction? And I swear to you guys, I said this at the time, I said, Joe Paterno is going to die in the middle of this whole thing. I said, because somebody that age is not going to be able to handle the stress that goes with this thing. And he goes, he, he goes, you wouldn't believe this place. I go, what place? He goes, Penn State, Colleen and I are out here. <laughs> he said, you wouldn't believe Happy Valley. He goes, Mike, it's unbelievable out here. He was like so enamored with the fact that he's going to have the keys here. He's like, you wouldn't believe this place. He goes, I think we can do some good things here. I said, all right, get after it. So he took it, and uh, we went out. Uh, we went out for the Wisconsin game uh, when they kicked a field goal either in overtime or pretty close to overtime to win it at the end of his first year. He went eight and four. Um, I went out with Meredith and Colin Brook. Like the, we all went out and you know went back to his house after, and like the whole party, they had the whole coaching staff there it was unbelievable. Um, and that night, Cleveland was calling him. They wanted to give him a job, and he said, "I can't do one. I can't do just one year here." Like you know, he he had a rough road at Penn State. Yeah, like, like first that's, taking him, that's, that, I mean, that, that, taking over that. That was he high. was a legend. Yeah, like, I mean, legends. so first of all, he went in there in the middle of like Louis Free, who's a former FBI director. His, his firm was running the investigation. So, like, every day he had to go to a conference room and get briefed on where they were. Because, like, trying to figure out who might have been involved or knew it that was still there from... Uh, I mean, you, yeah. Like, everybody thinks, of like, you know, as, you, as a head coach, you're only responsible for the kids and the oh, coaching no. staff. You've got the whole oh, program, oh, right? Oh, so, yeah, you got to know you know, You've got the custodians. You've got the executive assistants. You've got everybody. So, like, who... Who was connected to this? And like, so these investigations are going on, and Free, Louis Free's got a bunch of like professional investigators that are doing interviews and putting some pressure on people to try to find out like how deep does this thing go? And uh, it was pretty deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, then, you know, he he tried to incentivize, you know, to incentivize kids to stay. He had to deal with that. I remember I remember it was a huge controversial thing. He wanted the names of the kids on their backs so that everybody in the stands knew that that kid stayed. You know That's what pretty mean? cool. Oh, you got, I you got a you. wonderful he, memory, by the did way. Did he Man. catch a lot of crap from the alumni and yeah. the fit because yeah. he's the yeah. guy replacing so as the I guy. Under, as I understand it, like there were two camps, right? Like you got Jay Paterno that was on yep. the coaching staff yeah. there. Yeah. Right? And then you've got like like an Al Golden, who I think is a really good guy, at least I've heard. But him and Jay were like real close, right? And mm -hmm. then you got LeVar Arrington, who's got a big voice and wanted things to go a certain way. So like there's a lot there to unpack. And you're just trying to – I mean, one one thing about him is he just he's just trying to win football right. games. Like, you know, and that's – the coach. Yeah, that's part of why I told him, take the Jacksonville job. I mean, like all you got to do is just go put some X's and O's and let those guys do that thing. This is going to be something else. And like – 
things like the statue coming down. Oh, yeah. man. Like all that, that type of that stuff was, was, that was big. You, man, they covered it live on ESPN, I remember. Right. <laughs> yeah, and his right. name was attached to all of it unfairly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just because he's a, the skipper. All right, how about the Texans? Yeah, Texans went down. Beautiful um, facility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Top shelf. Top shelf facility. Brand. You know, not brand new, but pretty new. Um, and it. And it's. It, it, it's in Houston. You know. So you're right. Basically, in this. It's a little offset, but you're basically right in the city. You know. We uh, yeah. we went on a baseball trip down there, and mm-hmm. it's right next to the Astrodome. Mm-hmm. And the Astrodome was the eighth wonder of the world. They when they, it's twice the size of the Astrodome. Yeah. It's yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and the Cowboys Stadium dwarfs that. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Cowboys do it right. All right. Um, Bama. I mean, Bama. I just imagine that's a different world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it. I don't know. Like, So I didn't go down for an SEC game. I can't remember who they played. But so it was crazy, but wasn't ultra crazy, right? Like, they, you know, they've told me that if it's an SEC opponent, like, it's complete cuckooville down there. Um, but, yeah, like, his situation at Alabama was much different than any of his other stops because um, his son, Michael, who I told you about, who's, who's uh, a, a great athlete and is over at Tufts now, you know, Michael's still in high school. So he didn't move the family with him to Alabama. So, excuse me, he was living in a condo, right? So, um, and, you know, like I just said, like he's just 100% football-centric. So his condo was walking distance to the football offices in the stadium. So, um, you know, there's nothing really that I saw anyway outside of Tuscaloosa except for, you know, I, I don't want to say just the football, but the football piece of this thing is enormous. You know, from the football offices to the stadium to all of the things around the stadium that contribute to, you know, the environment that day. Uh, they shut the streets down like the president's coming. I mean, every street shut down. Like you it, would know. Yeah, it's it's um, it, it's a it's an amazing environment. It really is. So. So talk, talk about your career path. You talked about the Secret Service. How did that come about? How, how did how the service come about? Yeah. How did you? What, so what's the road to the, to the White House? Yeah, it was kind of a um, it was kind of a weird deal. Um, so when I was at Brown, um, Mikhail Gorbachev was supposed to uh, do the commencement address. So the ser- when the Secret Service does something, it's it, they they're always like a a week to ten days ahead coming out and, and, and doing an advance, you know, and making sure that everything's buttoned up. And ultimately, probably more on Gorbachev's schedule than anything else, but the, the trip was canceled. But it did kind of interest me in, like, who are these cats? Like, what, what is this all about? So I had my, my father had twin brothers, and they were both cops um, up in the Boston area. So I asked them, like, hey, what's the story with the Secret Service? Like, like who are these guys? And they're like, hey, you know, that's a, that's a really – like basically suggesting like that might be a little out of reach. Like that's a really hard thing yeah. to, to go through. Like there's only 2,000 of them in the world. The attrition rate is like less than 3% like at the time. I mean, you're talking like 1991, 92. So, uh, of course, like any other competitive nitwit, like you're that, like, yeah, that, that drove my interest, yeah. right? Like, you know, what, what else do I have to do, right? So, um, so I, I went, a, a buddy of mine, John Skinner, was playing in a... a an all-star game, a football game in Japan. So he needed a passport, and I think he needed a visa from Japan to go, right? So he had to take a trip to the Tip O'Neill building in Boston to get this squared away, so I took the trip with him. So you guys have all seen the, the lines at the passport office. So, 
He's standing in line. I get on the elevator. I go to the Secret Service office. I just walk in, ding, ding, you know, and I asked for some information. I told the woman behind the thing, like, I'm interested. I'm still in college. I'm interested in learning more, whatever. They sent the guy out. The guy spent half hour talking to me in the uh, in the waiting really? area. Yeah. They just showed up. Just showed up unannounced. Holy spent, God. You and your father, you guys got the wait. It's a whole Jesus. Right? So, uh, yeah. So he... Uh, so the guy gave me a bunch of stuff, included his business card, and, and that was kind of like the at that point, you know, the the, the hook was baited at that point. Like you, I was well, so how how did you graduate from Brown? Yep. How did, did you go right in? No, so I graduated from Brown, and I uh, I graduated from Brown, and I put an application in, uh-huh. right, and you used to have to fill it out. So I I had my my aunt was in the medical community, and so she had somebody that worked in her office. Um, that was like, you know, she would do typing on the side, yeah. you know, for whatever, 25 bucks, she'd type something out. So this woman typed out my whole application and everything, and then I sent it in. So they called me in. Like, I went in for, like, a formal interview. Like, yeah. I had to go get a suit and the whole thing, and I went in, and they said, like, you know, listen, we, we like you, uh, but you just don't have any, like, life experience. Like, you haven't done anything. Like, just going <laughs> to college enough is not enough. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Okay. So um, now I'm kind of on the scramble for like what does life and experience look like? So like I took the I, I went down to Rutgers one time. I took the New Jersey State Police Test. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, I'll try to go that route. Um, and I just was kind of scrambling. And I was out to dinner um, one night, and a buddy of mine, the kid I grew up with, comes over. I'm at I'm at a booth at a 99 restaurant with my then my girlfriend, but um, my wife now. And and so this buddy comes over and he. Uh, he goes, hey, you know, like we're catching up. Like, what are you trying to do? I said, oh, I got this thing with the Secret Service, but they tell me I need experience. And he goes, well, listen, I'm an investigator at the district attorney's office in Boston. And he said, I'm, I'm leaving. Nobody knows yet, but I just got a job with probation, which is a little bit better job for me. And I want to make a career out of being a probation officer. I'm going to take that job. Do you want to fill my slot? I think I can help you. I said, absolutely. He said, give me a, uh, I didn't even know anything about the job. I had no idea. I didn't yeah. ask him what the job description was. I didn't care. Like the fact that like that might be the experience road I need to get on. So I got him a resume and boom, I got hired within probably, I don't know, a month uh, to replace this guy. And I worked in the district attorney's office in Boston as an investigator. Oh, wow. You must assigned There to, must be some stories to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I came in right after the Chuck Stewart thing. Oh. So I came into a super divided city. So you got the prosecutor's office. Ralph Martin was yep. uh, a former... Um, Assistant U.S. Attorney that that replaced Newman Flanagan, uh, who was the DA at the time, um, was the DA at the time of the Chuck Stewart uh, murder, basically, and uh, and the Boston Police, the division between the Boston Police, specifically their homicide unit, and our uh, our office, the DA's office, was huge. Yeah. Um, so, so I spent like I spent like two years there. It was an unbelievable experience. Then you you went got into the yeah yeah. So, so how can you? tell like our guys their yeah. audience about some of the training and how they weed out people yeah. and how many like you said the nutrition rate is yeah yeah so um so so back then um the, and the process could have changed now I'm, I'm not entirely sure but back then uh, you'd have your initial interview then you'd have to pass an exam so there was an exam and you just needed to get a 70 but it was a it was a challenging 70 oh, yeah you know? um and that so that was kind of like the first thing that they probably weed you out on and then because if you didn't get the 70 you had to wait a year to take it again um and then i again just talk about stupid luck the service wasn't offering the test but the atf was 
Okay. Because they were part of, they were yep. part of the treasury at the same time, and it was the same test. So I went to a post office in Beverly, Massachusetts, and took the ATF test, <laughs> and then I applied that score, and the service took it. Okay. I mean, again, like you know, for, for any at least any kids that listen to this. Like luck plays a huge part in everything, right? Like it, it's you can't even quantify it, really. Like that was just dumb luck. So, how many guys are going in with you, and like how do they? Yeah, so it so uh, you're you're a solo applicant for most of it until you get to the test, right? And then yeah. the test, you might go in, and there could be three guys, or there could be ten okay. guys, depending on what the you know what the opening is. So then from the test. There's a, a panel. There used to be a panel interview. So you'd have three senior guys. Okay, just, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah they right. just pound in questions at you. Like, and the questions are pretty, pretty. Like looking back on it now, they're pretty straightforward. Like integrity kind of focused questions or judgment questions. But you know, as a young guy, you're trying to figure out what do these guys yeah. want me to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, like we talked about, I was a grinder, so I was half a hammerhead. So like they had a, they had, a, they had a, a, a question on there about like you and your partner go to arrest a guy you got a warrant for a guy on the criminal side of the house and the door opens and there's you know it's just you and your partner and there's like four or five of these guys and they basically said well you know you're not taking bobby like he's you know hey we got a warrant for bobby but you're not taking bobby he's not going with you and they're like well, how'd you handle that i said well bob's getting arrested like we'll handle it bob's getting arrested and they're like no no we just want to know like how would you handle it i said i'm not really sure but bob's getting arrested that day trust me and they're like, they shut off the recorder because they used to record the interviews. Yeah. And they're like, you'd probably call for backup, right? Like, you'd probably just make the scene a little safer and call for backup. I'm like, oh, yeah, we can do that too. But Bob's getting arrested. They're like, <laughs> they're like okay, Hammerhead, like, just, we get it. Like, you know, you can handle yourself and you're going to arrest Bob. But we're trying to get the HR-focused answer here. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty funny. So, but then, you, you know, you graduate from that and you go to a polygraph exam. Oh. And you got to clear. You got to clear a polygraph uh, exam, uh, and there's questions that are focused on national security because they got to give you a security clearance based off of it. And then there's lifestyle questions. So, questions that have to do with drug use, questions that have to do with your association with serious crime, and then you know whether or not you falsified anything on that application yeah. that that woman typed for me. So, um, and then from there, the only well, if you clear the polygraph again back then, the only other process, the only other, uh, aspect was a medical. So you got you go to see their doctors. So like you might. So they're checking out your shoulder. Yeah, like you might think you're healthy, but like they're looking at, you know, because for them, they hire you, and you have a pre-existing injury, that they don't know about or whatever, and you do like you know a month on the job, and then you say I can't work anymore. You you got sixty six and two thirds of whatever your salary was for the rest of your life. I mean, there's there's a fraudulent aspect to all that, but that's what they're up against. So that's why they drill into your your medical background. Were you worried about that shoulder? No, 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 I disclosed it. Yeah. Uh, But honestly, like, I never had a physical like that. I mean, like, you know, you're a 26, 27-year-old kid. I never had a physical like that, right? Like, they give me EKGs and all the, you know, things like, so you you really, what you're kind of worried about is what are these cats going to find that my my primary care (laughs) doesn't know about, you know? So, but it you know it all worked out, and then you know once you get your commission and or once you get your appointment, then the training is about five five six months. Uh, that's what, it. What does that consist of? Like, yeah. the, is it hardcore? Like, how many? What's the percentage of applicants become actual seeker service guys? Um, I, I don't. I couldn't tell you again. Like back then, what percentage got weeded out? I would say. Is it, it like the Navy SEALs? Pretty, yeah, yeah, I would say back then anyway, Anyway, it was probably pretty high. Now, you know, the 
there's a couple like back when I went through, you couldn't you you, had, you z drugs were zero. Like you couldn't have even experimented with a drug. They've got allowances now for drug use because they I think they realize. I mean, cannabis is legal in a lot of places. I think they realize that they they have to have some sort of um, flexibility there. But uh, it was zero when I went through. So if you were a kid that took a drag off a joint in college, just being a dumb kid, you were done. Like it was sorry. Like move on. So I think that in and of still itself. Be that way. I think that in and of itself moved a lot of guys on. Um, but like, so the way the trading was, was brokered is they, they take you for a week um, to, to D.C. And so you'd go to headquarters. You'd sign a bunch of non-disclosures and all those types of things. Um, you'd meet your, your cohort, right, the class. Uh, and there usually was about 50. So, you know, two groups of 25. Okay, yeah. And then... Um, They'd fly you, you'd get on, a, everybody get on a plane and you'd fly down to Glencoe, Georgia, which is the federal law enforcement training centers down in Glencoe, Georgia. And um, you'd spend the first three months, let's call it, down there. And it was like a boot camp. Like it was PT focused. Um, is it mentally challenging? Like do they? I think, I think most of the challenge was just like the heat. Like you're down in like, you know, North, you know, like South Georgia, you know, North, North Florida, like, you know, uh, the bugs, like, you know, all the different things that go with that region of the country made it a little bit more challenging. But they're not stretching out to where it's like two hours of sleep and you got to get up and no. start working out again. Or no, something no, like that. no. But they did. I mean, it, you know, it's a big team thing. So, like, you know, you could be super fit and, you know, be able to to, to run for, for days. But, you know, you're only as good a runner as the, the, guy, next the guy next to you, right? So they start to instill that right away. So, like, you know, there's a there's there's a um, a mental shift that a lot of guys have to go through because you know you you're in this process you get yourself in a great shape and then you go down there and they go okay we're gonna we're gonna go for a run and you know you got guys running right with the instructors and like you know they're at the front of the pack and you're not really sure how long you're going for but then then at some point maybe you maybe you run for about an hour and at some point you're gonna turn around and you got to go back and get somebody that maybe didn't take their fitness as serious as you did sure. and. Some people are okay with that, and other people get a little pissed off about it, right? Like, like you know, this. But keeps happening, yeah. Right. It like, keeps like, happening, yeah. You know, so there's some of that, um, but then so a lot of what goes on there is just kind of giving you your foundation of what, like, you know, a lot of federal law. Like, so you spend a lot of time with legal instructors that explain the Constitution to you, to explain, you know, federal law and the in the in the um, the way that you have to kind of manage, you know, federal investigations, and then. Um, then you get sent home for about a week, and then you go to the Secret Service training facility, which is in uh, Beltsville, Maryland. Okay, uh, and that's that. you guys that, know that? that's no. all that's all specific to Secret Service. So that the only, when you're down in Georgia, <clears throat> you could be down there in the child line with guys from Customs, guys from the Border Patrol, guys from different. You know, it's like a it's like yep. a huge training facility, uh, and you have your own cutouts. But like you know, you, you see those guys in the gym, or you see those guys running, or you see those guys in the child line, but. Uh, when you get to Beltsville, Maryland, it's 100% Secret Service. And, and what's the what's the focus there? It's mostly all the core stuff that the service does. So all your protection methodology, the investigations that the service does. And again, back when I was there, it was really just counterfeit and like white collar fraud. And now it's a lot of electronic crimes, um, and then threat investigations. Like you know, and, and there's a there's a huge mental health component with the threat investigations. Maybe most of the people that threaten the president of the United States have a mental health deficiency. Right. Uh, so you, you actually get trained by doctors and nurses and public and mental health professionals that kind of walk you through 
how to manage interpersonal discussions with these these folks. I mean, most of the time they, they don't have the means or the method, but the service runs out on every threat. You threaten the president no matter where you are or what you did or whether you meant it or not. If you're identified, that someone's going to come and talk to you about it. Right. They've probably been busy as of late on uh, last <laughs> couple stops. But um, um, how many stops did you have before finding yourself your way to the White House? So I started in Boston, and I stayed there. Um, Is that so near Woburn? What's that? Is that near Woburn? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's near Woburn. Um, I stayed there. So um, I started in Boston, and then I was kind of up to. I think I think you know five years was kind of the 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 metric where you were getting ready to go to the White House, um, and then the Democratic National Convention was announced. Uh, at what used to be the Fleet Center, yeah. it's now the TD. So I stayed and helped run the security operation for that. So that kept me in district for another two years. So I actually did like seven and change in Boston, which was long. Um, I had other buddies that went down, you know, four or five years, but I didn't mind. I mean, we had both our kids up, up there and, you know, all our family was there, both sides of our family. So it worked out fine. And then uh, I got assigned to the division that protects the president, which is Presidential Protective Division. Um, and that wasn't back then again, that wasn't an auto bid. Like people had to speak up for you. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, they took a look at your career to date and then you had to have some people say, yeah, this, this individual squared away and would represent the vision the right way. You know? So, uh, was that like a big, big yeah, moment? Like career wise? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's the. It's the highest level of protection the United States government yeah, provides. Like, so it's, it's a few years from you walking up to yeah. saying, "Hey, I want to apply for the Secret Service." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, again, it, like luck is just a funny thing, right? The guy walking up to me at that night having dinner with yeah. Meredith, and the next thing you know, I got that job, and then it leads on. So, um, but yeah, I uh, I reported down there. Um, what year was that, roughly? Yeah, so I got the I got the appointment in two thousand and four, and I. Um, but it was in, it was like around it was it was late December, um, and what we did is I went down early January of 2005, and um, my wife and the kids we sold our house, but we were having a house built in Virginia, so she stayed with her parents, uh, and I went down and crashed with a buddy because we didn't you know we, our house wasn't done and there was really no sense of renting a house and having her you know. So, and I didn't really know my way around down there. So I figured like, all right, you stay up here where you're comfortable and you got some support. I'll go down and try to figure out where the grocery store is, you know, all the different things that the schools, all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, so it worked out. So you get on the presidential detail. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell us about it. Yeah, so there's probably, uh, so the Presidential Protective Division probably has, like, it's, think of it like as a small battalion. So there's probably about 500 people that, that make up that division in various assignments to include all the admin support that goes with it. Um, and I would say, so the, you know, you have an, an operational arm, and that operational group is, is the group that really kind of travels day to day right mm -hmm. so those guys are reporting or men and women are reporting to the white house every day and then you know you've got some specialty groups so you've got some tactical groups you've got um you know we use a, a plain clothes group uh that is um you know they 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 got their um they got their methodology from the ruc in northern ireland and, and so they their tasking is to blend with every environment that the president's in 
So if you're, you know, yeah, you don't even as a normal everyday citizen, like you have no idea. Those guys have no radios, no pins. I mean, they're legitimately ghosts. But if like the president was doing a stop in New Hampshire at a diner, those guys are in there having breakfast yeah. just like every other Joe citizen. Do you wow. know where the uh, main office for those folks is? Because I want to just walk right in and tell them I want that job. <laughs> no. right. You'd be perfect for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 you'd be perfect for it. Gotta no, be good no, at something. Yeah, yeah, you'd blend perfect. So, um, And then there's, there's a group dedicated to the transportation aspect. So they work with the White House military office mm-hmm. to coordinate planes and cars and helicopters and all that type of stuff. So that's a whole other thing. So, um, And again, you've got your supervisory group and then you've got your admin support. So, you know, four or five hundred people. Um, so my first assignment down there was uh, in that operational section. So, you know, you get, once you get down there, more training, right? Because once you get to that division, it's like, okay, well, you know, you just did seven years in Boston, but we're going to get you up to speed on how we do things down here. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that. A lot, of more, a lot more NDAs because there's a lot of things at the White House that you can't talk about. So you're, you're signing your life away. Um, and then you go to work. And generally speaking, um, they try to break the, the new guys in slowly. Uh, even though, you know, you're 30-something years old with a wife and two kids, they still kind of treat you like, you know, you're in first grade. So they, they bring you along kind of slowly. Um, my first, m- first kind of foray... Uh, into this whole thing's kind of funny is that uh, so we're working midnights which is exactly how you want to kind of start as the new guy because like there's nobody around so you're midnights at the White House so you know first of all it's easy to get parking because (laughs) there's nobody there right Right. so you can pull right on the ellipse and you can find a parking spot no problem hell of a lot easier than day tour or afternoons Um, and then when you come in there's nobody around like everybody's in bed so you can walk around and kind of get a feel for like okay like you know where is all the bells and whistles here and um, Lincoln bedroom all that yeah (laughs) you can see all that so um, so you know you you report to a your boss is a shift leader they call him right so he's probably got you know I don't know 25 30 people he's responsible for and uh, so my shift leader at the time says hey we're going to President Bush's ranch Next week, um, you know, let, let's say that's a Monday, this weekend, are you good to make the trip? And we're working midnights at the ranch. I mean, like, he could have given me the keys to the ranch. I would have given them back to him. Like, I have no interest in a ranch. But I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm in. Like, new guy, like, just attitude and availability. Tell yeah. me what you need. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, sure. The next day, the Pope dies. John Paul II dies. Our shift catches the trip because the president's going to go from Rome to the ranch so yours truly my first trip i've been on the detail less than 90 days my first trip is on air force one to rome vatican city to rome okay i was the press guy which is usually where the junior guy is to make after hinkley they always assign somebody with the traveling press to make sure that like the integrity of that group is maintained and nobody nobody uh, either gets in there or acts a little stupid right Mm so so i'm with the press we land in Rome. I mean, I'm taking all this in. I'm on, I'm on the big jet now. I'm like, holy cow. You know, we land in Rome and we go. The motorcade makes a, an off-the-record movement. So an unpublished stop uh, at St. Peter's Basilica. So Pope, the Pope is laying in state. So the only people allowed into the basilica is the work and supervisor. Because it's, you know, it's super secure, right? We're inside the Vatican halls. The work and supervisor and the press nitwit who's me. <laughs> oh, my God. So, like, I'm, like... You know, it, unbelievable. Like, I'm basically standing there. The Pope's where you are, laying in state. 
President Bush, Mrs. Bush, President Clinton, and Condoleezza Rice are all kneeling, paying their respects, and I'm standing with the press going, look at this guy. <laughs> look at this guy. First trip out of town. Yeah, look at me. Yeah. So it, it speaks to make sure you're available, right? Yeah, that guy. yeah. Because I, 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 the only reason I made that trip is I volunteered to work that midnight down in Waco, and everybody else was hiding under the desk. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll go. I'll go. I don't care. Yeah. Hey, how, how about this? Like, Was that your first trip on Air Force One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You know, a dummy like me, I, I, I just can't get this movie out of my like. How unrealistic is the that, that is that movie? Like, yeah. There's a lot of when you see a movie like Air Force One, you're like, get real, come the, on. The movie with uh, with Harrison Ford. Ford. Yeah, I mean the only the only um, I think I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but the only thing that's probably legit is um, you know this this weapons and ammunition on the on the on the plane. Okay. Not that you're gonna get a shootout on the plane, but you've got. You've got weapons and ammunition on the plane. Most of it we bring on ourselves. But like this idea that there's that like little a little vessel to like eject your s- no. Nah, no way. No. Okay. No. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. So, I, I, but what they, I had what, to what get elementary there for what, a minute. What that plane's really, really good for um, is being able to fly at a super high level, right? Like so you can take a 47, 747, like especially something like equipped like that. You can take that to places where other planes can't go. And we saw that in 9-11. One of the evasive procedures that I think they took that guy to like forty thousand feet. Come on, mm-hmm. is there another uh, vessel that's like a reinforced for nuclear impact that the president? Okay, no. And then how about the helicopter? What's it, Marine One? Yeah, Have you been yeah. on that? Yeah, listen, HMX is the um, is the group that flies for the Marine Corps. Flies that used to be an Army assignment. And little trivia here, or a little known fact, is that the uh, the army had a crash um, off the coast, I think, of Puerto Rico. Um, I can't remember who. We might have, we may have lost somebody on that on that flight as an agency. It was it was during I think the Nixon administration, but the army had a crash in the water, and while it was being investigated, they had the Marine Corps fly. So the Marine Corps stepped in to take the duties while the investigation was ongoing. And once the investigation was done, the Marine Corps never gave it up. They never relinquished. <laughs> they it never well. relinquished it. Like it, it was one of those things where like it was like, nah, Marine Corps got it. You guys go back to doing something else, and that was it. So the Marine Corps created a group HMX one. Uh, they they lift out of Anacostia Air Naval Base over there in Virginia, and uh, I'm sorry, Maryland. And uh, yeah, super professional. Um, I. I been up in tons of helo lifts and i wouldn't go with anybody other than the marines i mean like these guys that jump on helicopters in hawaii you can have it but i'll fly with the marine corps anytime i mean those guys are unbelievable can you explain like your interaction with our presidents um and just what you think of them uh as people and how politics is involved or not like you're yeah. just interactions with the president. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Which presidents was so was it Bush and Obama? Yeah. So at the White House, I was with President Bush and President Obama. Um, president Bush for four years. President Obama just for a year, yeah. and then I cycled out. Um, and then uh, when I came up to New York, I uh, I actually did a hitch with President Clinton in Chappaqua as a former. Um, and then, of course, I covered him uh, in a, more of a support role when he was the president of the United States, spent some summers on Martha's Vineyard, that type of thing, um, which is common. Like the, the, the group that's in the field and not assigned to the division supports the division when the president's in your district. Right. Um, so I'm, I might be a l- little – I'm not different from the crew of guys that I'm close with. 
Um, but I may be different, right? And how I, how we look at it, we may look at it differently, but uh, never really got involved politically. Like I could care less. I don't, I, I, to this day, um, you know, politics is theater for me. Um, you know, when I see, when I see any of these guys say anything, act any way, whatever, it's, it's what I found is it's much different than I see when they're away from the cameras, right? Um, and so that's, and that's something I saw from be, kind of being behind the curtain, if you will. Um, and I found every last one of them, regardless of political affiliation, to just be a, a regular guy trying to do an incredibly difficult job. Yeah. Uh, I really do. And, you know, it probably speaks to why <clears throat> the difficulty of the job, it probably speaks to why the only candidates that we ever get are like in their 70s and, you know, missing some, some, some miles an hour off their fastball. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, I, listen, I think they would all agree with that if in a candid conversation that like it's a young person's job. And then when you, I mean, all you have to do is take a look at how young President Obama looked right. on Inauguration Day. To, to the wear on him physically eight years later. It was like Grady from uh, <laughs> Sanford. It's, it's a hard job, man. It, it is a difficult job. So, no one brings you good news. And there's something, there's yeah, something right. to that, right? So, so, so I w you, you have a young family. Mm -hmm. You're doing this. And you literally have to take a bullet for this guy, the president, right? Or, yeah. So, so how do you, is that, a, is that a, uh, as being an American citizen, is that the first thought in your mind? Or what? How, how do you how do you go to work every day knowing something bad could happen or that you have a duty? Yeah, I mean, I think I think some of that stuff is like a little over dramatic, right. right? Like, so the thing that the secret two things that I think that the Secret Service are really really good at. The first thing is the advance process, and unlike the FBI, you know, the partnerships that the service develops with like local and state law enforcement people that'll help us execute the strategy to keep the president safe. Um, those partnerships are like lifelong friendships kind of thing. Right. Um, so, you know, when you can create, again, you know, with the help of state and local law enforcement, when you can create a sterile or as close to sterile environment as you, that you can get, once you get there, then all you have to do is start to manage the, po the prospects of a crisis, right? So, like, once you get your plan in place, then the only other questions that you have to ask yourself is what are we doing if something goes south, right? right? And that something goes south could be a medical emergency. Are we buttoned up medically? Like who's got the oxygen tank? Who's got the first aid kit? Where's the nearest hospital? Have we checked the numbers to the nearest hospital, the emergency room? Do we know that when we call the agent that we put there, we get the right number? Um, do we have the good route there? If it's a, if it's a trip, overnight where we might be making the movement in the dock do we have the route you know we used to put reflective stickers at certain waypoints on the route right do we have those stickers in place so we know if the midnight guy is a little unsure he's just got to find the blue sticker with the silver thing around it and away we go he has the midnight guy run the hospital route with the drivers so that we know exactly where to go so once you get your sterile environment then so like the very last thought is yeah maybe getting winged by some nut job who, who takes a shot at him. Like right. you're really more focused on like kind of the everything else. But listen, at the end of the day, the, 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 the job is to put you yourself between whoever it is you're protecting and the problem, whatever the problem is. Right. So like that is the foundational aspect of it, but you rely on your brain much more than you do on the rest of it. So every trip he takes, 
is rehearsed, rehearsed. And every small Re detail every small detail week yeah. weeks in advance yeah week every small event. detail and you know that's amazing you're just talking about like if he has to go to a hospital like you the guy's taking the practice run mm -hmm. even if it's a minimal minimal possibility no. yeah yeah i mean so everything is your job is to be hyper vigilant mm -hmm. can you flip that switch off when you go home in your daily life i mean it must be i must just be hard to yeah deliver your, i think that i think you can um I mean, listen, I don't know. I had a fairly successful run. Uh, I did two decades there, um, and I had a f fairly successful run. And I will tell you that I think it's, it would have been a lot more challenging if my wife wasn't as tough as she is. Right. I mean, Shahad knows Wuben Girl herself. Um, and because, like, listen, I, you know, first of all, I don't think she got in the weeds about worrying about my safety. I think in her back of her head, she probably figured this nitwit will figure it out and he'll come <laughs> home. Yeah. But I... I, I do think that like it's a drain when you got like two kids under the age of like yeah, eight and your husband is in like Afghanistan. Like that gets a little old, you know. Right. Uh, where where I can't talk to her, I can't call, or I can't, you know, I can, you know, I can't check in, or right. I spend three weeks in Israel, or you know, whatever it is. Um, and uh, you know, I I tell guys, my brother came on a job for a while, and I used to tell him this too. I I tell guys like, don't call home if you're having a good time. Like, like there are guys, we, 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 we went, we, this is kind of a legendary story. So we go, we're in China, I think it was for the Olympics, and uh, we got a down day. And we, we jump on a, you know, like a scheduled um, tour of the Great Wall of China. I'm not a big tourist, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, I bet you didn't have to wait in a line. They yeah, no, they <laughs> got a state, state <laughs> department going in with a broken leg or something. <laughs> so, so we're there, and a um, guy gets a cell phone signal. One of the guys on the shift with us, he calls home. Honey, you won't believe it. You know, I'm at the top yeah. of the Great Wall of China. She goes, oh, good. I hope you're having a great time because little Bobby fell off the swing set. I'm in the emergency room. They're putting pins in his arm. <laughs> yeah. And he, for the, rest of the, for the rest of the trip, dude, he was shot. Like, yeah, exactly. shot. We're like, we're like, Bob, listen, it, it happens, you know, but like, note to self, don't call home with any good news. Like, if anything, every time you call home, yeah, it's a grind over here. Like, this is really tough. Like, you know, I'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah. Miss you. Like, don't, don't, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. So. Sounds like the Plowboys. Yeah. I, I had two things that, that struck me on the conversation. You said my father about a hundred times. Yeah. What did he mean to you? Um, how did he influence you? You talked about never taking a drag of, a, of marijuana. Yeah. Just how? Join the club, man. What, yeah. what, what influence did he have on you? A, that's the first question. And yeah. B, how did the sports, your, your sports participation growing up play into your secret service job? Yeah, so I'll take the first last one first. So that the whole team concept, that's one of the things that, like, I mean, listen, you can make a lot of money other places, right? Like you're a public servant. Like you can, you can go and work at a hedge fund or you can go. And, and, and the, all power to the guys that did that. I went to school with guys who worked at Goldman Sachs and like, you know, retired when they were 35. Right. Um, but the team aspect, like the commonality of a goal that pervades throughout the Secret Service was the draw for me. Right? right, like whether you're in protection or you're in a small group running the counterfeit squad in New York City, and you're going out to grab a guy, you know, on a warrant. Like, it's just such a team-focused thing um, that, like, that parallels all the athletic event type stuff that we've all participated right. in. Right, like, um, and especially like winning teams. Like, I don't have too many friends, you know, from losing teams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for what you know, it's funny how that takes care of itself. But for winning teams, so like you, you, you. There's a draw there, and I think there's a commonality there. And then, like with my dad, like you know, my dad was um, 
you know, so his dad died when he was when he was young. Like I think he was like eleven or twelve. Um, and then my, of course, my grandmother remarried, uh, and you know, he ended up growing up with his grandfather and all this other stuff. So he raised his own family because he had like twin brothers. Like I said, who was seven years younger than him. Um, so he and then he, and he pivoted and raised us, right? So and I was the oldest, and he and I spent a ton of time together. So I would I would tell you that like, you know, he had a significant. Um, influence on my life and and it really everything i did like any oldest son you want to be like your dad or whatever but he was not a law enforcement guy so like really what he did is he was like you know when i told him i was interested in this thing and then i started to really pursue it he was just super supportive like basically like hey tell me what i can do you know like he, he didn't know anything about it i mean really his his brother bruce <clears throat> who had retired as a lieutenant in one of the neighboring cities where i grew up he was like a little bit more plugged in because he he had dealt with them on different the secret service on different things and like he had a greater acquaintance with it um so he was super helpful too but yeah like my, my dad just kind of you know was like tell me what you want to do i'll help you with it you know and i think he was the same thing same way with my brother i mean just like yeah like tell me what you want to do you know my sister too my sister was a good athlete she played the college basketball year she got herself in a car accident and had to give it up but uh you know he was just one of those dads that was all in you know I yeah. was telling I was telling Bobby not to. I know we got you guys got to probably talk about other things, but we were talking about um, officiating, right? And I do think that at some point having a, a segment on that would be pretty entertaining. But uh, my father had Calhoun at Braintree High School. Ah, really? And had him at uh, had him at Northeastern. Wow. And there's some stories there. I bet oh. there is. Yeah, some stories there. Yeah, some stories there with, with your father still with us? No, no. He had. Uh, Melanoma about 13, 14 years ago, pretty yeah. bad. So, wow. uh, yeah, it would have been great to bring him. But we'll, we'll, Jaws will step in for him. Yeah, of course. He's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The good news with Jaws is if you get you have him on, you guys can just go upstairs and get a cup of coffee, so he'll just talk to himself. <laughs> <laughs> just give him like one written question and tell him he's on the air, and he'll be perfect. That's when, our friend, the great Mike Hurston, official from Chafog uh, High School. When, when did you get out, and why? And wh um, I got out in 2015. Um, I was actually on my way back to the White House. Um, it's actually kind of a funny story. So I, I, I got promoted again to go back to the White House. And, uh, you know, Bobby knows my daughter. So uh, and my, he knows my son a little bit. But, like, so my son is, like, your typical pleaser. Like, you know, like I was probably when I was his age. Like, I'll do whatever, Dad. Like, I'm, I'm in. Like, where, where are we going? We're, we're moved out. Alaska? I'm good. I'm going to go with you. My daughter stood up in the canoe. She's like, I'm not going, you know. <laughs> so I had a split house on whether or not we were going back to D.C., and I had another opportunity, so I just took it, just pulled the pin. I didn't want to be away from them anymore. I didn't want to do the sleep on the couch so, thing. Where were you living at the time? In, in, in Washington. So how do you get from Washington, D.C. to Washington, Connecticut? So um, that's a good question. So um, my wife's little sister marries a guy from up here. Mm -hmm. Thomas guy. Yeah. Was and. Salt of the earth. Kevin LeMay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we spent a lot of time visiting them, right? Like we would. Kevin LeMay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kevin. That's my like yeah. He's, he's, yeah. He's. He's. Uh, so Kevin married. Um, married his sister Sharon. Dude, wow. That's wow. Yeah. Like yeah. I played flag. I worked. He actually. I started working out when I was in high school. He was one of the guys at Skitters Gym in Thomas, yeah. and was this little thing that helped me. Yeah. Like I love the guys. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. So. You know, we, we used to vacation with them. Um, we, you know, we would come, we would either go to Maine or we would go to Aruba for family trips, whatever it was. We would, we would, you know, if we had, if I had some downtime, we would leave Virginia for the kids in the back of the truck. We would drive to Sharon and Kevin's in Washington. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
you know, like, like things go, one too many beers and the girls calling me uh, down in Aruba and they're like, hey, what do you think about us all living together? And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm in, you know, so I got assigned up here. And the plan, oh, okay. the plan was to get assigned in New Haven, mm -hmm. but they didn't have any billets there. So I took a hitch in Brooklyn, uh, assuming that as soon as there was an opening in New Haven, I'd go. And then I got promoted in Brooklyn, so now I can't go because there's only one <laughs> boss in New Haven. He's there. So I, I ended up working out of Brooklyn, but it all worked out. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, so Amazing. yeah, it's funny. And well, you, you found yourself, I mean, my, in my high school days, I would have never admitted it, but you found yourself in quite a Norman Rockwell-like yeah, community. Yeah, and yeah. you're probably, I would assume, happy with yeah, the quality I, of the guys yeah. that we know from there. It's just oh, great the people, guys, man. The people are tremendous. Um, and it's a different place. It is. A, it is a different, you know. And of course, when I was even now, because I travel a ton, like, but you feel like you're on vacation every time you come home, right? I mean, like, I got four acres. I never had four acres in my life. I don't know what to do with it. You know, my dogs love it. They yeah. run around, chase each other. But like, you know, that's a that's a pretty big swath of land, and and you know, so it's it's different, right? Especially when I was working in Brooklyn, like you'd be out, you know, grabbing your coffee in the bodega and doing your thing, and then you you you, you know, once you get home, you're like. Whew, Nirvana, yeah. I'm home, yeah. you know. So that's amazing, Mike. Thanks for Unbelievable. all that. Thanks for I your mean, service too. Yeah, I, we're, we're gonna have you back with Jaws because I know there's some some stories I, I want to hear about, like things getting ramped up once in a while. Um, we're gonna pivot to sports a little bit. We always have some Yankee stuff. This will be less than two minutes. Um, we getting Snell guys or what? Like I'm sick of reading about it. It's not gonna happen. Do no, you want him? Do we want Snell? Yeah, I want to win. Yeah, I'm I interested want in winning. I want him. Yeah. Do you care like about the rebuild the Sox got to go through here, or do you yeah, think there is a yeah. massive rebuild? Listen, it, it, you, you're seeing it. The Red Sox are going through it. The, the Patriots are going through it. I mean, it's. I get the business part of it. Like these owners can't continue. I mean, there's a profit margin that has to happen, right? So you got to take a year or two off. Unfortunately, it just cost that entire Patriot coaching staff their jobs. But at the end of the day, it's 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 there's a profit issue there, right? So if you're running a business. Your P&L statement matters. And, yes, you can buy championships nowadays. And we're seeing it with the Red Sox, too. I mean, John Henry's no dummy. He wants to make money. But now, once the fan base gets rowdy enough and they start turning off the TVs and you see TV contracts not being as valuable as they were when you're winning, then you start to buy better groceries, as you said earlier. So what about Verdugo? Do you care? No, I don't care. He's a bum, right? Uh, no, I don't know if I call him a bum, but like we've. How about the shaved Verdugo is going to be a bum? <laughs> possibly, but the Yankees and the Red Sox have traded players, yeah, all the time, right? Like we, you know, Euclid, Johnny Damon. I mean, you name it. Don so Baylor, let's yeah, go. Donnie Baylor. Verdugo's like, is, not going to be a bum. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a bum. Is he going to start? Yeah. That little that little band box down there in right field oh, might so be good. To this. Here we go. That's why I like there the guy Grisham though. <laughs> I think Grisham's a piece. Nobody's. Uh, they won't play him. He's a fourth piece out there. All right. So, um, Yanks they report pitchers and catchers on February fifteenth. The rest of the squad on the twentieth. Uh, Big G, Judgey, and uh, Lemayhew and Rizzo have been out in the town. Uh, Nestor's taking them around town, hitting some party spots before we go south. Um, now I'm frustrated with the Dodgers. Everybody reports on the fifteenth. It looks like maybe a, f a few on the fourteenth. You know when the Dodgers are going, the ninth. They're going five days before everybody else. So like, I kind of like that because I got pissed about the money they're throwing around. But like, as Angry Jay said, they must have it then. Um, but they're, they're, it looks like they want to get to work. You know, I mean, like, so they're they're not just cashing their chips before you know. Beforehand, I think they're they're willing to put the time in and put this new team together. They got Mookie, so there's a salt of the earth piece. Otani's gonna hit what, eighty? 
80 dingers this year? He's not hitting 80. You guys are down on the Dodge. I mean, we're going to meet up with him in October, games. It's not easy to win a World Series with all the tears you got to go through and everything. So, yeah, money's going to buy him 95 to 100 wins, but we know better than anybody. It's a regular season. Winning a matter. ring is, is really hard. They're going a week before everybody else. Yeah, that's not going to help them in October. All right. Coach, what they what they do in the regular season means nothing. They'll be okay. judged. They're on one World they Series win. since 1988. One. Who cares? Um, big basketball Sunday. Um, basketball's getting ramped up. High school, college, pros not so much. We have got an All Star game coming up, but um, UConn today. Xavier is that who we got in the house? Yep. Yep. Um, at Gamble, I think the Charter Oak. Might be back in the lineup. Is he in the lineup? He's going to get more minutes, they said. He's not he, going to start? I don't know if he's going to start, but he's going to get more than the 19 the minutes. Got to yeah. start the Oak. And and the 2004 team's back today. Oh, are they? Yes, for the uh, yeah, anniversary. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the women had them back. Xavier back. has um, New Haven's own Desmond Claude. I oh, met, get out. I met his dad a couple couple weeks ago. Great guy. Is 04 Gordon? Yeah. He ain't going to be there, so, is he? Not, no, Gordon. Might, need, might need Coach yeah. Donahue over here to escort him in. Hurley said that team is sitting behind the bench except for Talik Brown. He said he's sitting all the way up top because he's a St. John's yeah, assistant, assistant now. Yeah. That's UConn drivel now, yeah. if you haven't noticed. St. <laughs> John's? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be two going forward. I could see those two hating each other. Yep. Um, Rutgers, tall task today. <clears throat> They're getting 10 against a great Purdue team, and um, they always you know, they have, well at the rack. They always do, but something weird always happens. Palmquist like makes threes, or Moat Mag has his career high, or whatever first start ever, whatever happened. That Both day. of those things better happen then. Yeah, they got to start winning some games. They are. Uh, yeah, but struggling. in comes seven foot five Zach Eady, and like I know the Big Ten hasn't had success in a tournament, but like you tend, to, well, I tend to watch a lot of the games on the network, mm-hmm. and like. Where are these guys coming from? These six foot six shooter guys, uh, these farm country looking dudes that just stroke it. The backdoor cuts. I mean, Iowa. I hate the coach. He's annoying. But if they don't run great offense, they I don't know who does. You know what I mean? With the backdoor and the three and the. Uh, I mean, they, they pass guys open. It's about like, Northwestern? They're kind of fun to watch too. I know, but Boo Boo, he's been there for what eight years. Come on, That's man. All right. Who did they just beat? Oh, they, they pounded. Beat Illinois. Uh, they pound, did they pound Nebraska, they too? They pounded uh, Ohio State okay. last night, but they just came off a win against Illinois. Hey, guys. Lottie, i got to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you follow Indiana much anymore? They, they when, can't. When, when, when do they, they can't become, shoot. Yeah, they're kind of got a little they're thug, thug, they're, thuggery they're thug, in them. They're, like they're getting technical fouls yeah, every game. Yeah, you Wo- see the guy Wo- throw Wo- the ball to Woodson Illinois definitely guy? seems like to me that he's lost the ship. I don't know if he ever had it. I don't know if he was the right hire at the How about time. about the nut shot against Rutgers? You see that guy? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the, the same Morgan guy. No, it's the same guy. Uh, Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson. Same guy. What a punk, dude. Yep. That, if he was uh, in the league, we'd have to investigate This would be Woodson's last year, I would think. I um, think he's done. All right, you guys don't uh, care about UConn Rutgers. UConn's on the up. Rutgers trying to hang on for dear life. They're going to need a uh, conference tournament run. But have you watched anybody else like uh, – like I watch less and less college hoops now. My favorite sport because I just don't have the time. But this kid, uh, Jeff Shepard's kid, is fun. Kentucky, yeah. yeah, he's fun. Is he an NBA player or is he? I looked at a mock draft. I got him going like eighteen yeah. to twenty somewhere yeah. in there. Really? Yeah, he's yep. better than his father, right? Jeff, yeah, Jeff Shepard was super athletic. Remember him, number fifteen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. This kid's no slouch. No, and no, for no. Austin Reeves to be a starter on the Los Angeles Lakers, I mean, this kid's tough. How tall is he? Yeah, maybe like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, Zach Eady, 7'5". Will he be an NBA factor? No. Got to be able to guard G League, Or is he going right overseas? He'll get drafted and stuff, I'm sure, and somebody will take a chance on him, but he's going to wander around. And you got to be able to guard somebody. you got to be able to guard. Yeah, you got in transition, he's got to be able to get back. He's got to be able to shoot the ball outside, you know, 18 feet. It's just a different game. Quick like 30 NBA, years ago, maybe. Quick NBA nugget on the, on the, the greatness of the athletes in the league. Shea, uh, SGA getting a start over Steph Curry in the West. What do you think about that? I mean, I know it doesn't matter. I'm just saying. Has the guard changed? How come Brunson doesn't get a start? Stop it with the Knicks. Nobody wants to hear it. Your season's over. The guy got hurt. I'm a little tired. Like, I, he's a really good player. I'm a SGA? little tired. Yeah. Like, I, I like him a lot. I mean, I would take Anthony Edwards over him or something like that. But the recency bias to go, like, he had a couple great games. And they were saying like he's a top five player already. Like he's better than Jason Tatum. In the yeah. league? Yeah, they were talking on that stupid show there with the Stephen A. Can't Smith watch thing. that yeah. stuff anymore. Can't watch I, that. I watched like thirty anymore. seconds of it and they're like, he's top five, he's better than Tatum. I'm like Nah, I, no, like, I don't nah. think so. Like, no. no, like don't like so he's Jason Tatum Jason Tatum gets Jason Tatum gets killed for not winning a title so far. Now it's you know, like he's gotta win a title. I mean what has SGA done? You know? Like, how about how, him or Morant gun to your head? Not to bring in guns, but like him or Durant, gun to your head. SGA. I would take SGA because he's a better person. Like, a, like there's yeah, yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I told you that guy's that before. Is Edwards a scary athlete? I would take Edwards over. You know, that was one of the who's your brothers I asked you guys, and you all took SGA. Not me though. Edwards. Yeah. How about he, the Clippers? His highlights are pretty fun to watch. Yeah, how about the Clippers are figuring it out? I know. Oh, I, hate it, like, though. I hate the fact the that they figure night. anything they out. Tattooed Boston. Yep. You see the uh, Lakers. I mean that's just that's a TV thing. It's almost like it's you know fixed or set. I mean, LeBron and uh, Steph in like fourteen overtimes. I mean, come on, man. I didn't know. Was that last night? It was like at least three. One forty-five to one forty-four, something crazy like that. Steph had close to fifty. He had forty something. Uh, LeBron had twenty rebounds and sixteen assists, something crazy like that. You see Luca the other night? Yeah. Well, took a lot of shots, but Ian Embiid. All these did, guys. Did, did Cat get over seventy two? Sixty four. Oh, so he didn't get over seventy. Did you see the interview with the coach afterwards? No, yeah, he, yeah. he wasn't thrilled. It was awesome. <laughs> it was like, great. He had sixty four. He had forty four at halftime, and they knew Embiid had hit seventy already. And so they said they were just hunting shots for him, and he finished with sixty two. Actually, took him out 62. of the game. I think in the he took him part. out. Yeah, he took him out, but he put him back in. But he, the coach afterwards said like. We're immature. We're like we're ridiculously immature, and we got a long way. Like they're first in the Western Conference. He's like, we were worried about a guy scoring a over seventy Come instead on, of man. winning the game. We were taking bad. Like it was, it Come was on, pretty man. cool. Like, you know, guys don't say that anymore. You know, not not NBA level. No, no. too bad. They're so good too. Just too bad. Um, enough of that. Angry Jay. Yeah. We have a special se- segment right now sponsored by Capital Securities and Joe Moriello, Life Well Planned. Um, Coach Mike, you're in on this one. What do we got? We're going who would we rather? Yep. All right, I got a, like a half a dozen football, and we're, we're going to throw in some boxing too. You guys good oh, with that? Okay. Yeah. Brockton All Brawler. Right. I'll take him over everybody. Right. There's a couple NBA too. I'll do that at the end. But um, we'll, we'll start with NFL tight ends. We're going Shannon Sharp. Or Antonio Gates, and we'll start with our guest. We're going with you. You got Shannon, Shannon Shop. Mac. Uh, Ozzie Newsom. That's not the. It's not the question. I'll take Gates. Fantasy stud. 
Kent State. Shannon Sharp. I'll go rings. I'll go the rings. You going Sharp? Sharp? Yeah. I'm going Antonio Gates because he was kind of he's in. He was a basketball guy. I liked him. For the golden flashes at Kent State, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll say this. I'll give you the – I just talked about recency bias. I can't take Shannon Sharp on TV, so he gets <laughs> a next for me. All right, Lottie, we're going reverse order now. Okay. We're going Tua Tagla Viola, however you say his last name, or Brock Purdy. Hmm. Easy. I'll go Brock. Purdy. All day, Purdy. No doubt. I'm going to go Tua. I think Purdy's a system guy. I'm going to agree with him. I'm going to go with Tua also. Tua what? <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> All right, Mike, back to you. Guest Mike. Uh, Drew Brees, Steve Young. Steve Young. Greenwich, Connecticut, Steve Young. I concur. Yeah, it's not even close for me. <laughs> really? Steve Young, yeah. Really? All right, I'm yep. going Steve Young too. I thought for some reason I would be the guy only taking him. All right. Angry Jay. What do you got? For this reason alone, he's my guy. Uh, fantasy, I had him in a touchdown only. He threw a pass from like the two. It was tipped. He, he caught, caught it and it ran, ran in. in. He got the 10 pointer <laughs> all on his own, dude. Let's go, Greenwich. Good enough. <laughs> all right, Lottie, Marshall Falk, Barry Sanders. Barry. Not, not, not a layup for me, though. Yeah. I'll say Barry as well. I go Falk all day because of the dy- dynamic. Uh, uh, um, thing he brings with catching the ball. Um, a highlight video, I'm watching Barry for hours. On my football team, I want Falk. That's a hard one. Uh, I would say Falk, too, because, I mean, in today's game, he's he's multi-purpose. You can do all kinds of stuff with him. You can put him in the slot. Yeah. You know, you create so many mismatches for the defense. I'd say Falk, too. I would go with you two guys. I would take Falk, too, in today's NFL because of the exact same thing. Like, he's... He's Christian McCaffrey, right? Right. Um, all right. Lottie, Terrell Suggs, Dwight Freeney. We're going pass mm-hmm. rushers. Good one. I'll go the, uh, the kid from Bloomfield, Dwight. Okay. Same. Dwight Freeney? Yep. It's tough. Kind of like Suggs. Yeah, I'm going to go with Freeney. I, I watched him wear us out for years, so I'll go with Freeney. Right. I'll, go, I'll go Freeney, too, uh, just because he's a Connecticut guy. Last football one. Priest Holmes, Clinton Portis. Mm. Clinton Portis played at the U? Yes. He did. I'll go Clinton Portis. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we decide. That's it. Uh, I think Priest had a better run of it. Um, no pun intended there, but I, I got to go Priest. He was tough. I, I would agree I for the short amount up. of time he was. He put up crazy numbers, but uh, Portis just on longevity, I think, for me. He wears weird did, outfits. Did though. Portis play at the U? He played at the U. I'll take Priest. Uh, <laughs> the commish. That's good. I'll go Priest Holmes. All right, two quick NBA ones before we get to boxing. Uh, Lottie, Russell yep. Westbrook, Derrick Rose. You know I love Westbrook because every time we do these, I go Westbrook, so I, I got to be consistent. I knew you were going to say that. I'll take Westbrook as well. Really? A never hurt Rose? Yes. Rose. That's You can't overlook it, though. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you can't, can't, I don't you can't, can't qualify. say that. I don't you think you can qualify that. it, right? Like, yeah. You know, I got to go yeah. with Russell. Healthy Rose is fun. Russell's. I'll go Rose, too, just to be different. Yeah, Rose for one year if they're both healthy, without question. Right, this one is easy. I think, who took, I think the same guy took SATs for you and Rose. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> this one was easy for me, but Carl Malone, Kevin Garnett. 
or we know it was easy for you. Yeah, I'm gonna go Kevin Garnett. Well, these are homer picks, though. I mean, I mean, one of the best scorers so, of all time, Carl Malone. All right. I love KG. I'll go Garnett. Garnett for me, just two-way player. Mailman. Right, I'm going Garnett. Guy too, delivered mail. Besides Bird, he's probably my second favorite Celtic, and the leadership aspect. I think he's one of the best leaders ever in professional sports. Angry Jay, not to interrupt you, but uh, Kling Kong is starting. He's starting. Uh, yeah. Let's go. All right, we got uh, like half a dozen boxing ones, real quick. Lottie, starting with you. Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler. I'll go to Brawler Hagler. With our esteemed guests in the studio, I'm gonna have to go with Hagler. <laughs> uh, Sugar Ray was my uh, yeah. my Franklin. He was my Franklin Seven shoes up, man. Yeah. He was my he was my idol. I loved him. I'm sorry for that, Marvin Hagler. <laughs> nah. I'm going Sugar Ray also because he beat Hagler, Hearns, and Duran when he they did. all used to fight. There's each no other. doubt about it that he did. All right. So speaking of that, Roberto Duran, Thomas Hearns, great fight. Roberto Duran. I got to go with No Mas too, just because Hearns quit one time mm-hmm. I against agree, the Brawler, right? I'll say Duran. Didn't he have like 200 career fights, Duran? Yeah. Yeah, crazy so, numbers. Yeah, animal. Yeah. Well, we're all going he fought Durant. like every two months. We're all going Duran. Hearns actually beat Duran, but he was at the end of his career. Like, he almost killed him with a right hand. But I did remember reading a book, and, and when Duran was younger, before, before he even fought Leonard the first time, the old boxing guys used to talk about, like, how they were in awe of Duran, the way he fought. Like, he mm-hmm. was just, like, on your chest throwing bombs, like, and he – Never got tired. That that four king that four kings documentary is, is unbelievable. You've got yeah. to, if yeah. you haven't watched it, you're a listener. Download that and yeah. watch it on the next. Uh, unreal. It what was is great. It, Netflix. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. They all, but it, I seen they it. talk. It's it's terrific. Um, we'll start with you. This is probably lay up for you now. Mickey Ward, Artero Gotti. Okay, so let me. So it's Mickey Ward, but let me tell you something. Go ahead. Go yeah, it, go for it. So as a kid, um, I boxed. So I used to box in the Somerville boxing club and Wood would come down so every club had a, f- a pro mm-hmm. so our pro was this guy Johnny Rafuse truck driver by day and he'd fight at night I don't know what Johnny's record was but he was a grinder so Mickey would come down every Saturday and they'd fight you know in the gym like just work out so like you'd rush in there on a Saturday you'd work out yourself and then you'd throw your hoodie back on and get courtside and watch and just you know Mickey and his brother yeah. so Dickie was there too yeah and like as a young guy looking like you get, you know you you can Mickey Wood, it, they played him perfectly in that movie. I was gonna say yeah, a great movie. Yeah. Complete gentleman, you know, quiet, whatever. And then his, his brother was Cuckooville, like <laughs> yeah. just crazy, crazy. But yeah, so Mickey all day long, like just a, a salt of the earth guy. I'll go with you on that. Yeah, love that movie by the way too. I love that movie. I love the the the. the so who are you going with? Who are you, Mac? Who are you going with? Man, do I love love those fights? Do you remember? The first fight, I called you at your house, and yeah. your dad answered, and I was like, are you guys watching this fight? Like, it was like the third or fourth round, and you guys turned and like, yeah, turned it on or whatever. Yeah. My dad loved boxing, yeah. man. Uh, it's just with the Irish aspect, the I'm going with yeah. Mickey. I got to go with Mickey. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Mickey as well. I'll make you work. You guys are all going? I'll go with Gotti just to be different, because you beat him twice. Yeah. All right. Um, don't, don't hold it against me. <laughs> Larry Holmes or Vander Holyfield? Mitch Green. Not an option in this one. Where? Hmm. I'm gonna go Larry Holmes. All right. I'm gonna go Holmes. I'm gonna go. I saw Vander fight uh, 
John Ruiz at the casino. Did you? Yeah. Live? And sitting next to... Um, Were you working or just working? Watching? Yeah, sitting next to... Um, who's the columnist at the, uh, at the Globe? Not Sean, I see the other guy. Bob Ryan? Bob Ryan, sitting right next to him. was a, was a, one of the thrills of my life, watching a fight with yeah. him, so I'm going to go with Holyfield. Um, That's a good gotta, one, though, Jack. I got to say Larry Holmes. I mean, did you see him run over that car? He jumped over a car. He did <laughs> yeah, Blake Griffin before on. Blake Griffin did. <laughs> was that with uh, Mitch, Mitch Blood, Blood Green? Green. Yeah. That's was why you're picking, that's he why was you're a ganger, too, man. <laughs> when he, remember he beat Jerry, Coon, Jerry Cooney. Remember that fight in the early yes, 80s against yes. Cooney? He beat yeah. Muhammad, right? Larry? Yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. an old that was, his, that was his idol. He almost didn't want to punch him, yeah. if you remember that. It's a Vanda for me. I, I think his ability to jump weight classes and, you know, and, and just be as competitive and you know, stay as competitive as he did in multiple weight classes. Yeah, he went from cruiserweight to lightweight to heavyweight. I agree with you there. Um, three more we got. We got Floyd May- Mayweather, Julio Cesar Chavez. Lottie, you're starting us off. Chavez. Mayweather hasn't lost. Yeah, all the time, you guys. It's, per, it's, it's just it, personal preference. Yeah, I, I'm going to take Mayweather just because he's uh, was the wins, but I, I'd rather watch Chavez. Right. Now, a quote from Young Guns. Chavez. <laughs> Chavez is easily the best Mexican fighter ever, um, I think. But uh, I'd go with Floyd. I mean, Floyd was unstoppable. Yeah, yeah hasn't lost. I'm going is. I'm biased. I'll just go with the old school brawler. I'll go with Chavez, too. Mm-hmm. It's hard to beat. Mayweather hasn't lost a fight ever, so we're taking guys over him. All right, two hypotheticals. We're starting with you. Drago or Apollo Creed? A prime Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed every day of the week. <laughs> Not uh, washed up Apollo Creed. <laughs> USA. Uh, the master of disaster? Yeah. Yeah. USA, baby. Oh, uh, man, with the nicknames. He wins on the nicknames alone. Right, right. The other guy was a bum. Yeah. Oh, he's a bum. I mean... I must break you, but yeah. uh, I'm going to say, based on our, again, with our guests in here today, the USA shorts, i got to go with Apollo Creed. Absolutely. Uh, the Eagle. Absolutely. All right, all right, we're all going American. All right, Apollo <laughs> Creed. And the last one, the South Side Brawler, Clubber Lang, or are you going uh, Tommy Gunn? <laughs> oh, man. The Machine no, Gun? I just want to say something before you, it, it's like an easy answer for you guys. Clubber Lang, like, he won the title, but he never won in our fight. And the same thing with Tommy Gunn. At least he fought Rocky in the street again, you know? Yeah. Trying to sway us? Yeah, I'm just saying because people are just gonna say, "Well, Clubber was a better fighter," but was he really? Yeah, Mr. T was a better fighter. Yeah, Clubber was Mike Tyson. Clubber with that left hand, the right hand. I mean, he had his chest glass left, jaw too. At least yeah. Tommy, the Tommy Gun was taking. Sh- he was taking left hooks and getting bounced off of cars and by a garbage can. I think too. that's right. That's right. I'm going with Tommy Gun. Pain. <laughs> you got to come up with one. Yeah, it'll, it, it's got to be uh, it's got to be Clubber Lang for I mean, me. I mean, you guys, I'm telling you, Tommy Gunn is underrated <laughs> because Clubber won the title and he got fat and he's like, come on. All right, Jay, those were great hoochie rathers. Uh, real quick, today is AFC NFC Day. We're gonna round it out with this. Uh, Chiefs Ravens. Surprisingly, it's the first game. I think I thought it was an uh, obvious nightcap. Mm-hmm. Um, Ravens given four and a half. Uh, who? I don't care about the spread. Who wins this game? I'll go Ravens. Just because they're at home. I like the Chiefs. Steve Spagnola, you give him a week to get ready for you. He, he, he's as good as it gets. I, 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 think, I think the Chiefs pull it out today. I'm with you. I have a tough time room for both teams, obviously. It's the old Browns. I'm worn out with the KC stuff, but Mahomes finds a way, I think. Me too. It's, it's hard to doubt him. You know, you keep waiting for him I'm to doubting him today. Yeah. Um, so the primetime game is a really cool game. Um, the Lions... 
who looked like you know maybe people might want to jump on him as like an America's team sort of thing, and then they, they struggled a little bit. Love Goff. Love Goff because he was given up on when the Rams did the Dodger thing and bought a Super Bowl. Uh, but look look at him. He's standing now with some weapons around him. Um, who wins this game? Niners favored by a tutty. Mike? I like Detroit. Sam Laporte is going to have a huge game. He's going to wear them out. Look for that tight end to have eight or nine catches today. Oh, I like it. Love it. Definitely going with my heart in Detroit. That city deserves a, a winner. I want Detroit to win. Unfortunately, they're not going to win. <laughs> he goes Niners. It's the same thing. I mean, as an Eagle fan, I hate the 49ers because they run their mouths. But I think they're the best team in, in football. All right, I'm going to pick the Lions for this reason. I want to see the Chiefs and Lions. I want Eminem and Taylor Swift to be in the stands, and it would be way better than Usher as the halftime. Uh, the, and, I'll, and by the way, if they kicked Usher out and had Eminem and Taylor Swift, not to be that guy, but like I <laughs> love both. Are you a Swifty? Oh, no. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you? Do you make bracelets or no? Uh, <laughs> Come on. Would you judge me if I did? I won't judge you. I got a Judgment daughter and wife who love it, so it's on a lot. And the songs aren't bad. They're, they're oh. awesome. Awesome, man, and, and, and like I don't, I don't care if oh. Stephen A. Smith's had enough of her. I'm like, then don't watch. Like I don't watch you. I've had enough of you years ago. I don't watch you. I don't. I don't think it's news that you like argue with Mad Dog. The hell out of here, dude. Swifty, Eminem to the soup. Lottie, I already said I want Detroit. Kamish, I already said they're not gonna win. We'll pick them between. Oh, you just said who's going to win the Super Bowl? Oh, how about that? Who'd you rather, Eminem or Swifty? You get to go front row for either one. Who you got? Eminem. He's unbelievable. I love him. Love him. Yeah, I'll go with the Detroit guy. Who you got? I couldn't name a song, a Swifty song. Ride or die with Eminem. Oh, <laughs> let's go. Mike, thank you so much. Yeah, You're coming fascinating, back. You, fascinating. I hope you had a good time. You're had coming back time. with Jaws. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more to talk about. Go Yanks. Go Cowboys. Go Yanks. Oh, go Huskies. Time. Go Rut today. Rut with the upset. Thanks, guys. Great job.